Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. and that we are not uh, using a, 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 a pandemic uh, to have people... Uh, oh, I'll go into that in a moment, but let me just say this. Before the distinguished leader spoke, the gentleman on the other side said, where are you when you're talking about violence, this or that? We're there. We support peaceful demonstrations. We participate in them. They are part of the essence of our democracy. That does not include looting, starting fires, or rioting. Those are, they should be prosecuted. That is lawlessness. I'm very proud that Joe Biden has made the, presented the clarity of that, making a distinction that I under, don't think our colleagues quite understand, but the American people do. And a poll released today said that the American people support congressional Democrats over President Trump in terms of dealing with the issue of crime in our country for all of their misrepresentations. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 19th of September, year of our Lord, 2020. And that, I'm going to tell you right now, that is some sawed-off fucking horse shit right there. Sawed-off Horse shit from Nancy Pelosi, but does it surprise you? No. No, no, no. They got the memo, they read the polls, and I just could not help but start with that today. That was a perfect start for what we're in in 2020. So today we're doing our A block. We're going to do some violence, we're going to do some narrative, and a little bit of woke on the back end. But that pretty much sums up the narrative um, of 2020. We can spin whatever we want to spin for lefties because, you know, our media is lefties. Sorry, it's 4.30 in the morning. Puppy woke me up at 3.30. The, the tweet on that actually came from The Hill and Submarine Vet. Fake news. Mary Fernandez. Nan's a little late to the party. There's not much left to burn down. And that's it. It's just perfect. Somebody put out, since when have peaceful demonstrators ever resulted in insurance claims of more than $1 billion? $1 billion. And the usual people is, what, did your polls, did you finally read your polls? Did you finally read them? I mean, the American people have been for this with day fucking one. You've cooked polls that ask the question, are you for people able to protest? And of course everybody's going to say that. That's an American thing. You didn't ask the question, are you for people destroying the country? And of course those answers would be totally different. And the same time Nancy Pelosi saying this, Don Lemon 
and Cuomo are laughing about the violence, and Brian Seltzer saying, oh, CNN doesn't hate conservatives. I mean, you see the faces on those black guys? I mean, they are angry. Yeah. White guys? Nobody's worried about them, Don. So let's talk about that, Chris, honestly, because if you watch a certain state TV and you listen to conservative media, you would think that you know, uh, it, entire cities are just, you know, in, in brawled in fights and fires and whatever. We went out and had a great dinner in New York City tonight. People actually walked up to us and said, thank you for, I watch you every night. I can't believe they thought they did to do a double take at us actually hanging out and not seeing us on the TV screen. But New York City was not, um, uh, you know, a hellscape, was it? Uh, I mean, that one guy who ran by with the machete. Uh, who tried to guess. No, of course it isn't. You know, look, his campaign is be afraid. The genius twist by Fox News is that they say that's what we want to do is scare you, which really enhances the president's ability to do it. Uh, It is a very beautiful uh, concerted action between the two of them. It's unfortunate that its point of uh, purpose is to divide the American people. But there we were out having dinner. It's great uh, to be together in the city. Uh, we were met by a great group of, uh, a lot of people came up to us. but Infectious disease doctors. Yeah, who helped me understand how to explain better to everybody else about why we can do so much better with the types of testing we're using. And then a miracle happened. So I'm talking to the doctors and like all of a sudden I feel like this this like breeze <laughs> that was like almost like the Holy Spirit kind of flowing through. And all of a sudden Don Lemon's hand, I figure, I don't know if it's reaching for a gun or reaching for a hairbrush, could be anything, pulls out a credit card and gives it to the waiter and says, I'll pay. But the line after that is... I don't remember anything don't after remember. that. <laughs> I said it's on the box. It was the corporate card. <laughs> I, was trying, I was trying to give you max credit for the situation. Uh, I enjoyed uh, it. It was great being out in the city. It was great. We had a meeting, so we came in earlier and we got to go to dinner. But uh, it was great being out in the city and seeing people and seeing their, um, th- their reactions. And listen, before people try to twist what we're saying, nobody is condoning violence here. We know that there's violence out there, but entire cities are not on fire. And tumult there are a few blocks uh and when people do that and they you know burn things and and break into stores and loot wrong 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 on every level but we want people to know that um things are things are going to are going to get better we hope with the right leadership and then you know people on november 3rd will make up their minds of what that leadership should be absolutely There are some ethical questions that are being thrown around about CNN lately. There's a 2016 audio of your president, Jeff Zucker, offering debate advice to President Trump that was released. Jake Tapper was recently caught trying to allegedly influence a congressional election. And I had serious problems with the way Chris Cuomo had a reoccurring primetime um, sort of comic routine with his brother instead of Mm. asking about policies that were literally sending my friend Janice Dean's older relatives to die in nursing homes. So with the criticism of CNN, do you believe that this is acceptable, and don't you think there's enough fair criticism to go all the way around right now in just how news networks are run? Well, first, I think you should write a book. You know, I, I think you've listed <laughs> off all of these storylines. A lot of them, though, are cherry-picked, you know, coming from these audio tapes that Tucker Carlson's been airing. And I do have a question about this. It relates to my book. You know, Michael Cohen says these audio tapes were only held by Trump, the Trump Organization, and the DOJ. So all of a sudden, they're airing on Fox News. 
you have to wonder if it's another example of this feedback loop that exists between Trump and Fox. But look, I, I'm not a spokesperson for Fox, for, for CNN or Fox. I'm not a spokesperson for CNN. I, you know, it's not for me to comment on these tapes. Here's what I do think is sad, though. I think it's sad that private conversations get leaked out, get distorted, and then, you know, they become polarized and weaponized. That's the environment we're in, and that's sad, you know? If our text messages or if my phone calls with friends were suddenly taken out of context and distorted, I, I feel like that's just... And let me put it this way. I think the Trump age has ruined a lot of friendships. I think that's really sad. And I hope we can start to rebuild. I hope we can start to rebuild those friendships rather than, you know, all feel like we're at war with each other. Brian, uh, you write about the struggle between the journalism side of Fox News and the opinion side. Something yeah. that has always bothered me across all cable news is the blurred line between what's news and what's opinion. Like we are an opinion panel here at The View. Do you think that that lack of clarity or that confusion contributes to the misinformation and extreme divisiveness we're seeing in politics today? I do, I do, and I talk about it with my staff at Reliable Sources, and I, I always want to make sure that I'm not part of that problem. But I do think CNN, you know, there are some hours of CNN that have a lot more point of view these days. Some of the anchors, including, you know, yours truly, I'll start with a monologue, talking through the president's lies and trying to debunk them. I, I know there's more point of view these days, although we will, we will never top the view, I think. I, I think the reason why we're doing it, though, I think the reason why we have these monologues is because it's the best way to cut through all the noise and get to the news. You know, to, to say, for example, the media is not the enemy of the American people or the enemy of Republicans. The media is the enemy of liars, and we can debunk lies uh, through these essays. But it is an issue. I, I do agree it's an issue that sometimes it all sounds like opinion, even though I think what we're doing is more trying to give perspective on the news, trying to defend truth and decency and democracy, which frankly wasn't as necessary. You built it, Dems. You built all this. And I didn't have this in my A block because it happened last night. But Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. So to segue perfectly off the Fox loop, as Brian Seltzer says, here are all the networks in mourning over a Supreme Court justice who died. You didn't hear it when the last one died. You didn't hear the writer cry. We're showing some pictures right now on the screen of uh, you and Justice Ginsburg together. Um, there was, around the time of the Merrick Garland nomination, um, after Justice Scalia died, who of course was Justice Ginsburg's very close friend on the court, despite their ideological distance, they shared a love of opera and they got along and they enjoyed dissenting against each other's opinions. Uh, when Justice Scalia died and the Republicans made that decision that they would not allow President Obama's nominee to even be considered in the Senate, um, and that is um, how, after that election, we ended up in 2016, your election, we ended up um, with Justice Gorsuch instead of Justice Merrick Garland. Um, I think a lot of the emotion around that in the country was in part that the Republicans and Mitch McConnell had done something that really did feel like it broke the system, that really did feel like just a small d anti-democratic assault on the process. Uh, but it also felt like a feminist catastrophe um, in in you not becoming the first woman president, despite Justice Ginsburg's fervent belief that you would be. That was part of how she explained that she didn't retire during the Obama years. Uh, but also then for that that Supreme Court seat um, to go and for the court to go that much further to the right. And then for us all to be praying for Justice Ginsburg's health uh, in a way we never had before because of the balance of the court. It all just feels mixed together um, 
with so much emotion beyond the politics here. I have to ask if, if you feel any of that yourself or if you're you're too close to it to see it some other way that all of us feel it. Good evening, everyone. We are coming on the air with breaking news. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg has died. Ginsburg, who was 87, was the court's oldest justice and served more than a quarter century. Appointed by Bill Clinton in 1993, just the second woman after Sandra Day O'Connor to serve on the nation's highest court. Ginsburg became an iconic figure in American life, a tireless advocate for women's rights and a reliable anchor to the court's liberal wing. Her death coming after multiple health problems in recent years will now certainly trigger an epic struggle over a replacement with the ideological makeup of the court itself in the balance all during an election year. Justice correspondent Pete Williams looks back on a remarkable life. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was consistently one of the U.S. Supreme Court's moderate to liberal members. And again, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg dead tonight at age 87. Let's go live now to Pete Williams in our Washington newsroom. Pete, what more can you tell us? Well, this is a time, obviously, for looking back at her career. But, Lester, we can't help but look forward, too, to what happens now with the Supreme Court term ready to start in just two weeks, the Monday in October, the usual start for the Supreme Court term. Uh, what will happen now that there's a vacancy? Uh, President Trump has said that he would uh, nominate a successor, and Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader of the Senate, has said that they would try to uh, act on a confirmation for a successor. Uh, the question is, I guess, two questions. One is, can the Congress do this in time while, uh, before, before the election? Who knows what's going to happen? And secondly, assuming that President Trump does uh, nominate someone and the Senate tries to act on it, does the Senate have the votes? Remember how close it was with Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, they may or may not have the votes of some of the people who were on the edge. Lester? It's the world's most chilling and horrible poetry. I mean, this has been the project of the American right wing um, since uh, the great social movements and political and legal shifts of the mid-20th century has been to reverse all that progress. The road to making abortion everything but technically illegal is is open and, and we're traveling down it already. So the major legal um, victories of the mid-20th century, this has been the project of the Republicans. And yes, there is a horrifying poetry that this is happening. That This moment should not be a moment at which anybody thinks Okay, it's over. And yes. that is an instinct, right? That's an instinct. I, I have had it within the past hour. <laughs> One of the easiest things to think in this moment is, well, that's it. It's done, right? It cannot be. It is only done if everybody says, well, it's done. There's nothing we can do. Because the fight that has to happen, and it has to happen from the Democratic Party, it has to happen within the Senate, it has to happen around public opinion, it has to happen around the expression of refusal to permit these systems to be perverted and corroded in the way that they have been, yeah. that got us to this point. Remember that if Barack Obama had been able to appoint his justice, this would not mean the thing it does now, right? And that was a breaking of how this country works. And we have to fight harder against that. There has been a denialism, including in the Democratic Party, about how hard Republicans were willing to fight to get what they wanted. 
And those who are horrified and chilled to their bones tonight, in addition to being agonizingly sad and scared, need to remember that what got us to this moment was a right wing that was willing to fight as hard as yeah. hell over a period of decades. When everything seemed stacked against them, they fought and they got here. Where the death of one 87-year-old woman is, is, you know, has the possibility to, of determining, you know, 50 years ahead of us. And what those of us who are horrified in this moment have to be ready to do and willing to do is think about creative, energetic, driven ways to maintain the fight to keep this rollback from happening. George, this is earth-shaking news. Yeah, as earth-shaking as it gets, Byron, 8, 9, 10 on the Richter scale, will he be able to force through a replacement for Ruth Bader Ginsburg in the less than seven weeks that remain until Election Day in the lame duck session that comes after that? And the idea of Donald Trump replacing the liberal core of the court with another justice like Kavanaugh or Gorsuch would 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 tilt the uh, the, the court decisively perhaps for a generation uh, to, to the right and this is something that um, that, that will Democrats will fight and fight and fight uh, you know with everything they have over the next uh, 46 days trying to fill this seat of course is a uh, potentially risky move. For, for Trump and for Republicans, um, a lot of eyes now are on moderate Republicans, a handful of critical moderate Republicans, several incumbents who are in tight races. Uh, could they potentially be swayed to try and uh, oppose a rush to fill this seat? It, of course, just takes four votes to flip this, uh, to try and block whoever the president puts forward. I think there is no question that if President Trump is successful in getting a replacement confirmed, Roe versus Wade will be overturned in the very near future. As we saw with Brett Kavanaugh, sometimes the unexpected does occur in a confirmation process. Um, and of course, Christine Blasey Ford coming forward nearly derailed his confirmation process. So there's a degree of uncertainty. You keep your eye not only on President Trump, not only on former Vice President Joe Biden, but on several key senators. Look at Susan Collins of Maine, Jody Ernst of Iowa, Cory Gardner of Colorado, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, Tom Tillis of North Carolina, even Lindsey Graham, the chairman of the Senate uh, Judiciary Committee from South Carolina. The decisions those senators make in these coming days and weeks will determine the course of the Supreme Court, perhaps the course of the country, for another generation. Now, we've spent three and a half, four years talking about how Fox and Trump's violent rhetoric have made people do violent things, supposedly, simultaneously while they're burning down cities, the left. You know, that's that's the word. Julia Rosa, large crowd has gathered outside the Supreme Court to mourn the loss. They were singing. Because it's so bad that this lady died, a Supreme Court justice. Then they sang Imagine by John Lennon. They want that to be the national anthem, by the way. Jacob Wool and Jack Berkman showed up to the Supreme Court and got mobbed after saying Roe v. Wade is dead. The Supreme Court will soon get a new justice. Of course, can't do that. 
John Berkman and Waller outside the court right now. It's a good day in American history through a megaphone before being mobbed with a chance of RBG. The feedback loop doesn't make people from Fox say if they even try to replace RBG, we burn the entire fucking thing down. Reza Aslan. We burn the entire fucking thing down. John Gage. One hour since news broke and people have already lost their minds. Stephen Miller. You're not going to be burning anything. Fill the seat. I see Razlin has entered the threatening domestic terrorism portion of his career. This is a guy who joined the media smear and said Nick Salmon had a punchable face. CNN gave this guy a show until his Twitter rage got the best of him. And there you are. We're going to burn it down. Left erupts and RBG rage tweets. More bigger riots over our dead bodies. Laura Bassett. If McConnell jams someone through, which he will, there will be riots. More bigger riots. Because you already have riots. <laughs> Samantha B. This is it. It's the fucking fight of our lives. Reza Aslan again over our dead bodies, literally, because McConnell, we're going to do a vote. Is it hypocritical? Sure, it's hypocritical. It's totally hypocritical. They blocked Obama's when it was a Republican Senate and a Democratic House or Democratic presidency. And now they're going to try to run it through as a Republican Senate in case it gets flipped, and a Republican president. It's hypocritical as fuck. I'm not saying it's not. But do you think Schumer wouldn't be doing it right now? If the president was a Democrat, and it was a Democrat-run Senate, and there was a possibility the Senate was going to flip, do you not think they do it? Oh, yeah, they do it. But these people, oh, fuck that. Joan McCarter... I mean, seriously, this total waste of skin and oxygen doesn't even let a day pass before he declares war. John Brennahan, Leader McConnell's calling for a SCOTUS fight. So, once again, you call for violence, you call to burn things down, and you have the guy over on CNN literally say... Oh, no, it's not about that. Everything's about this. WAPO. Biden's weakness among Hispanics is not his fault. It's Trump's. That's an article. A guy who's losing Latino votes like no other Democrat. People in here are laughing their asses off. I mean, the whole thread is, are you fucking serious? It's Trump's fault that... Biden is losing votes. And in the article, they basically say it's because he's done an outreach to Latino voters and it's working. But everything's Trump's fault. Everything. I bet if I searched enough, there's a liberal conspiracy theory that Trump killed RGB because that's Armenia. That's what they've done to these people. When everything is the end of the United States, 
People are going to die. People are all going to die because of net neutrality. I mean, for fuck's sake. Your whole green shit is everybody's going to die. And it's Trump's fault and conservatives. So no, Nancy. No. It's too late. We know who you are. You lead off our soundbite. I don't know why people aren't protesting in the streets. You said that. You called for it. Obama called for it. And every Democrat called for violence. And that's all we've had. I wanted to do some locals. Things that hit home with me. And the first is Pensacola. Ah, shit. The soundbite was corrupt. I had a soundbite from a friend. um, Not a friend. I, I think I know the guy. His name is Aquatic... Charlie, and he went back down to Pensacola when he wasn't supposed to. Um, well, here, I'll play this Hurricane soundbite instead. Hurricane Sally is wreaking havoc in parts of the Gulf Coast, flooding homes, businesses, prompting water rescues, and causing widespread power outages as well. Now, in Florida, the storm caused part of the Pensacola Bay Bridge to collapse. Now a section of the newly built bridge known to locals as the Three Mile Bridge is missing. More than two feet of rain fell on Pensacola, and more than five feet of storm surge swept through the city. You can clearly see in this video, downtown was just covered in water. The high water trapped several people in their homes, too. Officials say thousands might need to be rescued. The storm made landfall just before 5 a.m. local time near Gulf Shores, Alabama, and officials say that it's causing catastrophic flooding. Across Mobile Bay on Dauphin Island, high winds blew the windows out of a high-rise condo building. Several roofs were damaged, boats were crushed, uh, winds there gusted to 99 miles per hour. They toppled trees and power lines. More than a half a million people in Florida and Alabama were without power on Wednesday afternoon. There's a cliff note version. It's close enough, but it it literally destroyed my home away from home. I mean, I love Pensacola. For those that have been with the show a long time, we usually make a year pilgrimage. This year, we decided to cancel it because we thought COVID And the Democrats and all the lying down in Florida about the number of deaths and cases and it was all proven to lie and then the media dropped it. Remember that? Well, we canceled our vacation and I'm glad we did. Because the reality is we wouldn't be able to go because there's no fucking road. Three Mile Bridge got knocked out. That's the bridge that goes from Pensacola to Gulf Breeze. It goes across the Pensacola Bay. It's out. The bridge from Gulf Breeze to to Pensacola Beach is good. What took out the three-mile bridge, which was brand fucking new. They just finished it last year um, and tore down the old one, was the actual um, crane on a barge. I don't know why they didn't shore it, like put it on shore. They left it next to the bridge, and it got tipped over and destroyed. So that that's just all sorts of bad. And the other bridge, which is 50 miles down the road, it's out. So the only way to get to Pensacola Beach is to stay on I-10 now, drive straight, and then come in on a third bridge 80 miles down the coast, and then you could drive up. But here's the problem. The entire strip of Pensacola Beach can't drive on that road because it's underwater because they got 36 inches of rain in a day. 
I don't even know the full total of amount of rain they got. It is insane. Pictures downtown Pensacola underwater. My God, it is so sad. So I wanted to touch that. That is like home to me. And I pray for those people. We literally were going to go down and try to help. Maybe do some recovery. Bring my bass boat. That can't bring a lot of people, but I could bring some people. But they had so many people, they stopped to get them. Then our second, of course, broke and became national news on Tucker Carlson. Uh, Dennis Ferrier, who used to be on Channel 4, went to Channel 17 locally in Nashville. And that's the news that I see in my little area of the world. The, the mayor of Nashville and all his lackeys were lying about how many people were really getting COVID from bars and keeping our bars closed down. Now, understand, I live about 60 miles away from Nashville by road. We're open. No mask. Nashville's still playing fuck, fuck, goose because it's politics. Nick Short, emails between the mayor, senior advisor, and health department reveal only a partial picture, but what they reveal is disturbing. The discussion involves a low number of coronavirus cases emerging from bars and restaurants and how to keep it from the public. Looking, looked it up, Tennessee is a Republican state. However, surprise, John Cooper, the mayor of Tennessee is a, of Nashville, is what she meant, is a Democrat. It's all about power. Any city or state where the Democrat mayor, governor, this kind of crap is happening. And it's just true. It is. Unfortunately, people don't, they don't go out and vote and they don't pay attention to the local. My local is all a bunch of fucking moonbeams and they just voted Juneteenth in as an official holiday in Montgomery County. A holiday that nobody even knew about. Now the area I live in and the surrounding area, we're going to have to deal with closures on a holiday that nobody knew about. I don't know a single African-American. Remember, I was in the military. I was a grunt. 30% of every platoon company, whatever I was in, was black. Usually more. And boys and girls, let me tell you this. They never spoke of this or lift every voices or any of that shit. Then, the second local thing, Ben Shapiro and the conservative Daily Wire will be moving in headquarters from California to Nashville Click the link to see why they're moving to Tennessee. Their little story. The Daily Wire conservative media company started by Ben Shapiro, Jeremy Boring, and Caleb Robinson plans to move his headquarters from Los Angeles to Nashville. And I'm going to tell you right now, this shit is too good. I literally tweeted, born and raised in Oregon, 20 years in the Army, lived everywhere. We chose Middle Tennessee for it's truly God's country. Beautiful, spacious, people are friendly, politics moderate, except Barry and Cohn. uh, Tennessee will always be home as long as we keep hard left people from changing it. Boom. Right off the bat, I retweeted this. Said it yesterday, it's a great place unless liberals try and change it. This COVID fear to win an election is the sickest thing I've ever seen Shame on them. And a bunch of people retweeted that because it was exactly what I said that they just want to, pl- they want to pretend that we live in New York. And when we don't live in New York, they want to make this. 
That's a problem with Nashville. That's why they're having all their problems. They were down with all this shit. They made themselves a sanctuary city. They tried. People didn't have it, so they backed off. Pith in the wind. Assholes moving to town. My reply to this asshole. God, people like you are why I spend my money in every city but Nashville. Nashville will never be a liberal utopia. This is normal country. Move away. Another person. I vote Democrat because I'm pro-choice, except on schools, guns, trade, health care, energy, smoking, union membership, light rules, plastic bags, Walmart, what kind of food you can eat. It It, it, it is classic. That's That's... The people in Nashville, they've tried, they've done the Section 8 and destroyed little little um, residential areas they put in there, and people moved away, and now they're raising taxes, because they, they played all the liberal games. Nobody wanted it. And the fact is, Harvard Poll shows voters overwhelmingly united on many issues, but view many rights as under threat. And here are some of the things that it came up with. 70% of Americans have more in common with each other than people think, and they favor an expansive view of rights beyond those in the Constitution. And majority of this stuff, as you break it down, and I won't do it because we do so many of these, is the same stuff. They don't believe America's totally racist. They're not for breaking this down. They're not breaking that down. They're not telling people to do this. They're not telling people to do that. They're more libertarian than the left wants to agree on, Because it isn't the right that is pushing. You have to do it our way. It's the left that's doing it. Then we have, in signing support for Trump, 235 senior former military officers warned Biden will usher in Marxist ideology. That didn't make the paper. Because you're recanting the people he fired, and that's the military. Or the guy that helped Kaepernick. And the most disturbing for Democrats... This is from Pink News. 45% of queer men backing Trump poll finds. Queer men have always voted reliably Democrat until now. Queer men to forgo their morals this November with a thumping 45% vowing to back Trump. Keep in mind that we're talking about global results versus America results here, Josh Milton reports. Indeed, the LGBT plus voting bloc has long been reliably Democrat. The poll conducted by queer dating app Hornet found that overall amongst his unit, around 66% favored Biden while 34% Trump. But for queer Americans, Poulter said, the statistics were far tighter with 45% saying they're going to vote Trump. Sarah Scarlett James, there will always be those that vote against their best interest gay people responses these must be part of the 45 percent. there will always be those who feel entitled to assign interest to other people white lady number 345,385 with a snapchat filter knows more about every gay person more than they know about themselves she thinks they are oppressed and they vote against their own self-interest society is lucky to have these type of people telling them how they should think and feel another That's incredibly homophobic. And it is. Another article from the Daily Caller. Multicultural male coalition going to vote for Trump. It's basically black males, Latino males, a lot of people. Because males are more apt to not want socialist bullshit and people telling them how to live. 
And that's what the left is. That's what they always are. It's so bad, CBS stole a photo from Latinos for Trump in Phoenix and tagged it as a Biden event, got caught and had to remove it. They didn't even Photoshop out the Trump signs. Because there are no Latinos for Biden. Oh, there was on Twitter, four cars in a parking lot. Yeah. And then it equates to what Brian Seltzer tells you is not happening. What everybody else is Chuck Todd's, all the uneducated motherfuckers. Fox buries CNN. Record-breaking summer. As if the news wasn't good enough, LaHood noted that Tucker Carlson tonight, Hannity, and Ingermangle attracted an average of 3.5 million viewers each night, topping even the major sport events and CBS, NBC, and ABC News, who are all down to 2.6, 2.9, and 3.2, respectively. That's all summer. That's just an average. The nightly news used to at least attract 8 million at the middle. Or at the minimum. That That's what they used to get. They don't get it anymore. But America's liberal. We want to move forward, they say. Hmm. Really? And then, to catch up on a few things, up to nine additional nations could join peace deal with Israel, including Saudi Arabia, Trump says. Aaron Rupar. Reality check. Israel has never gone to war with the UAE or Bahrain. Stephen L. Media, Miller. Crooked media site foreign policy experts called BS on Trump Middle East peace plan. Who'd they bring out? Ben Rhodes, the bus driver. That's all I have to say. Hacks on CNN, no mention of Middle East peace. White House event with large crowd, little social distancing is all they cover. That's all they cover. Dan Bondingo, CNN's a disgrace to humankind. There's a reason they've always finished third in a three-way race, and that's because they suck. <laughs> the rest of the media sounded like this on downplaying Trump's accomplishments, because why would they support anything he does? You know, Peter, this deal is a bit uncomfortable for a lot of observers to watch because it seems so transactional. It's as if pulling out of the Iran deal is what got these Gulf states on board to do this, you know, to then recognize it. It feels like there is a lot of quid pro quos involved in this, um, that it isn't something larger than that. Then again, sometimes Middle East diplomacy, the only way to make things move is, is through the transactional nature uh, of the region. Obviously, what, what is ignored here as well, Chuck, even as the president says that he has created peace in the Middle East, that's usually referred to as peace between the Israelis and the Palestinians here. But the campaign, the Trump campaign, has been touting this preemptively as the president having achieved peace in the Middle East. They even noted that he was a Nobel Prize nominee at this point, though they spelled Nobel wrong in the campaign advertisement that they put out. But the Palestinians are, are furious, of course, because they feel they've been betrayed in this circumstance stance, not just uh, by the Trump administration, which they have long felt, but also by these um, Gulf, these Arab Gulf states. And at the White House today, Israel and two Arab nations signed a new diplomatic agreement that will normalize relations and bring them closer together. But as Andrea Mitchell reports, a broader Middle East peace is still an elusive goal. With pomp and circumstance, the president heralding the first Arab nations to recognize Israel since 1994. 
the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain. After decades of division and conflict, we mark the dawn of a new Middle East. Both countries have quietly dealt with Israel for years, sharing intelligence against Iran, a common enemy. But today's agreements open the doors for trade, travel and tourism. But it is not Middle East peace. Left out, the Palestinians, abandoned by their Arab neighbors, powerless to do anything but protest. The UAE is likely to get what it wants, coveted F-35 stealth bombers from the U.S. The big winners, two embattled political leaders. On the White House South Lawn, before a packed crowd, many not wearing a mask, history was indeed made today. We'll sign a treaty of peace, diplomatic relations, and full normalization. Israel's prime minister and the foreign ministers from Bahrain and the UAE joining President Trump to officially normalize diplomatic relations with Israel, the first Arab countries to do so in decades. To all of Israel's friends in the Middle East, I say, assalamu alaikum, peace unto thee. The agreements mean embassies will be opened in each other's countries, commercial flights can operate between nations. Together, these agreements will serve as the foundation for a comprehensive peace across the entire region. President Trump proclaiming this a peace agreement, but the countries were not at war. And left out of the deal, the Palestinians, who call the agreement a betrayal. But it's more of a business deal than a peace accord. The three countries are not engaged in armed conflict. The agreement means greater diplomatic and economic ties between them. Rob Malley was a Middle East advisor in the Obama administration. It is not bringing peace to the extent that the war or the conflict that exists today is between Israelis and Palestinians. They were not at the table. They were not involved. They feel alienated by and marginalized from this event. That was on display in Gaza, where protesters condemned the accord and the Israeli military said the Palestinians had fired two rockets into its airspace. It's, but what have you been saying, man? I mean, he could fucking cure cancer. They wouldn't like it. Two things today. I'd like to talk about the book. I hope this sounds better. We're recording in stereo today. Um, I had the fitting on my computer, but I just never used it. And I decided to try it on the old uh, microphone since it's fucking fixed. Now that I've routed it right, put it on the right setting. And we also got a new monitor. So... Hopefully today uh, there'll be less, I can't read this, because I literally, my wife out of the blue goes, go buy a monitor because she wanted the TV back. (laughs) That's how I got it, which is pretty cool. Then there's two stories I'd love to cover up front. I could do it in the narrative, but I decided to put it up front because it's just too perfect. Miami restaurant, unhappy with visit, made by Camelia Harris. Let's listen to that. South Florida restaurant owner is speaking out about the fallout after a visit from Democratic vice presidential candidate Kamala Harris. NBC6's Steve Litz is live in Doral with a story you'll see only on 6, Steve. And hi, Jackie. This area was buzzing yesterday when Senator Kamala Harris dipped into this restaurant here unannounced. It's amazed Latin flavors, pretty popular Venezuelan and other Latin flavors served here. So yesterday's visit, Jackie, is not getting great reviews today. There, in fact, there's even internet chatter encouraging a boycott of this restaurant. An executive with the restaurant told him Mrs. Harris wasn't welcome here yesterday. We don't use the company for uh, uh, 
and political reasons. Andres Garcia, not pleased with Senator Kamala Harris's visit to his restaurant yesterday. We are very respectful of uh, every individual in our organization. And we will never take, as an organization, a, a political position. Garcia, president of the board of directors for the Amaze Latin Flavors restaurants, telling us he had no idea the Democratic vice presidential nominee and her campaign were stopping by yesterday. In respect to our stakeholder, we wouldn't support that. If they would ask, we would say, no, we're not, we're, we're not going to do it. Garcia says he found out on social media she was at the restaurant and some of the posts were critical. I learned the hard way. Sometimes when we look into the social media, and uh, we take it for granted what people say in the social media. I did have a brief conversation with the Florida representative for the Biden-Harris campaign. They are not interested in making a comment on the story. Lavender out tonight. I'm Steve Litz, NBC6 News. All right. It's once again what they do. They think everybody's down with them, and it, it's just another sign. If you're having problems in Miami, and you're that arrogant that you didn't check, this is what you get. But that wasn't the other one. And and by the way, it was a Venezuelan restaurant, which is pretty bad. Then Camilla Harris decided to go out and they tried to play on top of everybody's down with the Green New Deal when nobody's down with the Green New Deal. And she did photo ops with Newsom. But they didn't clear it with the family. And the family, yeah, they weren't having it. Okay, cool. We're going to head back to the bus now. Thank you. This isn't just devastation. This is our lives. Governor Gavin Newsom and Senator Kamala Harris tweeted out photos Tuesday showing their visit to a home destroyed by the Creek Fire. The Patton family saw the photos and realized that's their house, or what's left of it. When we saw those photos, it was... you, I mean, there aren't words because it's like we haven't even seen our house. We haven't even seen our property. Well, there is no house. We haven't even seen our property. The family is accusing Governor Newsom and Senator Harris of using their pain as a political tool and a photo opportunity. This is where we grew up. These are our memories. And to to not have that, to feel so helpless. And, and I guess that's kind of what we've all been thinking is that we are so helpless because we weren't there, we haven't got to deal with our loss. Instead, we're having to play, have it played out on social media and news. So these are the stories behind these fires. And the people who are, who are victimized by these, you know, they could care less and their children could care less who they voted for in the last election. We're not victims, we're survivors. We're going to get through this, but the whole community has lost. And to just take a picture of one, of one loss, it's not enough. When I asked Senator Harris's communication director for a statement, he told me, I'm not going to have anything about that. What does it say, man? I mean, it's pretty shocking if you think about it, because California, let's be honest, it's them. One of the uh, ladies in question, Dear Governor Newsom, you don't know me, but I'm one of your California citizens. That truck you're standing by is my dad's work truck. He has had that thing for so long as I can remember. The land with all the rubble you're standing next to, that's my house. I grew up in. You never got my parents' permission to go out to our property, nor did you ask if we needed help. 
What you did do is take my family's loss and parade it on social media and news networks to push your agenda. That agenda can wait. Right now, you should be caring about the families of this state. What does that say? What does it say? They're in trouble. That's what it says. Now, do I think the, the Trump's going to win California? Fuck to the hells no. But with the exoduses and more comments that I'm reading, some people in California are finally waking the fuck up. And then we get to our NFL. I want to start, I was going to play it, but it's just a band sound. Two little Miami football players paid the price for civil disobedience. They were told not to carry onto the field thin blue line and thin red line flags at their 9-11 game. They did it anyway. The school suspended them. And then the NFL comes out. NFL deep in intent on continuing the on-field social signaling that is repelling more fans. Now they have become ensnared in a PR fiasco. Display how cement-headed things have become. We present to you the NFL stage production, Get Woke, Look Broke, in three acts. Act one. This is a pretty funny article. The NFL's league decided they would take a cue from the NBA and permit teams to wear social messaging on their helmets. The back pad at the base of the headgear would be a location permitted for display of the names of individuals who are victims of systemic racism or police violence. Tyler Effort of the Jacksonville Jaguars threw a curveball on his decision. Yes, we realize the use of a fractured metaphor here, so shut up. By displaying the name of David Dorn. Now, while the league proposed said there would be a variety of names permitted, the Pittsburgh Steelers decided as a team they would all wear the same name. There was a victim of a police shooting in Pittsburgh, Antoine Rose. Pittsburgh Steeler. We don't want him to be forgotten for the 2020 season. We night as one. We'll single name on the back of our helmet, Antoine Rose. On Sunday, when the Steelers face the Giants, we're in Act 2 now, offensive lineman Alahadema, who's an Army fucking Ranger West Point cadet, he said no. He created a stir when it seemed that he had taped over Rose's name and had placed another name. He spored the name of Alwyn Cash. This is not shocking as Villanueva, Villanueva is a West Point grad and former Ranger. He also has been recognized in the past as being one of the few players stamped the National Anthem. Villanueva wanted to honor the life of a fallen soldier. Cash died from injuries incurred as he was on a fire and pulling out soldiers from a vehicle. Chris Adam Skinsky. Villanueva is the name Alwyn Cash in the back of his helmet. Cash was posthumously awarded the Silver Star for heroism after his death at 35 while on duty in Iraq. Steeler.com had said all players would wear Antoine Rose's name. The decision by him was approved by head coach Mike Tomlin, but it was met with criticism. I was surprised by what Al did, defensive end Cameron Hayward said. I didn't know about Al's choice in the back of his helmet. Quarterback Ren Roethlisberger, obviously that's his choice. That's the amazing thing about this country we live in. Unfortunately, it is what it is. Unfortunately. Also seeing a problem with Villanueva's decision was the mother of Rose. She posted her opinion on the matter on Facebook. Let me be very clear. The Pittsburgh Steelers took a team vote. Obviously, one person didn't like the results, so they chose to do something different. But this one person showed us exactly who he is and obviously didn't approve of how the vote turned out. While he was too busy being negative, what it actually did now forced more people to engage in this conversation. 
that after declaring that's for his coach, team, and organization to address, not me, Kenny promised, I'm going to use this negative press and negativity to motivate me to hold the Pittsburgh Steelers even more accountable. Act 3. With the focus on Villanueva, the details were only gradually arrived at, but eventually a realization is coming over some. It has been learned that on the day he was shot, Rose Antoine Type 1 each had been recently involved in a drive-by shooting. The car he was in had been pulled over, not for a routine moving violation, but as a felony traffic stop. It fit the description calling for the shooting, and they were pulled over minutes after the incident. Rose had a gun in his possession when shot, and two other weapons were found in the car. One of the guns had been stolen during the armed robbery earlier that day. It seems rather curious that the team would be unaware of these details, such as these, given the events occurring over two years ago, and could be researched prior to making the decision. Of course they didn't. They just picked a name. All Steelers. Steelers center Mark Pouncey said he was unaware of the entire Rose situation and will make his own decision on what to put on his helmet. Clay Travis. Steeler lineman Mark Pouncey says he will remove the name from the back of his helmet after he learned the man Steelers were honoring on their helmet committed a drive-by shooting in Pittsburgh. This is insanity. Jamel Hill and the media didn't like any of this. Ken, when Villanueva walked on the field last night, there was a name on his helmet like you mentioned, except it wasn't Antoine Rose Jr. It was the name of a fallen war hero. Here's what Tomlin said. I think it needs no further explanation in terms of our support for Al Villanueva or anyone else in terms of what they do or doesn't do in regards to social justice. The NFL is allowing players to honor victims of systemic racism. The Steelers chose Antoine Rose Jr., who was killed by police in 2018. For the season, players agreed to wear these helmets with Rose's name on the back. I thought it was absolutely a great idea that they would do something like that to support the family. Monday night, Steelers tackle Alejandro Villanueva had fans squinting at their screens when he wore this name, Army Sergeant Alwyn Cass. Cash. In 2005, Cash's unit was ambushed in Iraq. Cash helped save all of his fellow soldiers from burning wreckage. Cash later died from his injuries. He was given the Silver Star, but there has been a campaign to have his medal upgraded to the Medal of Honor, the nation's highest award for valor. Villanueva himself is a former Army Ranger. Maybe after all this is over, they can do it all the time. It is also a erasure of sorts. Anthropologist Dr. Abigail Adams tells KDKA she commends his decision, but the timing was bad. Some people interpret his choice as a rejection of the Black Lives Matter movement. And while some feel politics and players are not in the same league. Right now, we need to be entertained. We got enough problems. Dr. Adams says the symbolism fans are seeing on the field is leading towards impactful conversations. There also has to be a response to trying to change racism within our culture. Joining us now by phone is NFL legend Mike Ditka uh, and former player and coach of the Chicago Bears. Uh, very fortunate to have you, Coach. Thanks so much for coming on. First question I got for you. Did you even watch yesterday? What were your overall thoughts, Coach? I watch football, but I, you know, I don't pay much attention to it anymore. 
Yeah, you know, it was interesting to watch, even before the games, the conversation that I had with another guest is listening to the commentators, you know, former players and coaches that are on these panels before the game gets started. I would say 70% of that was about racism, social injustice, and police brutality, and not even about the game itself, not even about the hype of the game itself, which we've missed for so many months. What were your overall thoughts on that? I agree with you. I agree with you. It's football, football. I mean, it's not a complicated thing. You play the game, you enjoy the game, you don't, you don't like the game, get out of it. It's not for uh, uh, protesting uh, one way or the other, uh, what color you are, what, what you think, uh, this and that. Hey, you play football. That's, that's it. You know, you're, you're privileged. you got a gift from God that you can play the game because you got a body you can do it with. I, I, I don't really understand uh, what you're protesting. I mean, I would, uh, I played the game, I coached the game for a long time, and uh, it, it makes no sense to me. You ought to get down on your hands and knees and thank God every night that you can make the kind of money you can make playing football or playing any sport. So, I mean, it, to me, it, it makes no sense. So you got the wrong guy. Well, Coach, just real quick before you go here, look, we are at a different time. It's 2020. We're seeing this now. People not, Players not coming out of the locker rooms during the National Anthem. Some, again, protesting during it. You've been around. You are a legend in this sport. Um, did you ever think you'd see a day like this? What does this do to you when you see it? No, no. and I would tell those players, go to another country and play football there. Then you don't have to come out. You don't have to come out for the anthem if you go to another country. You can't. Because the game's only played in this country. And if you can't respect this country, get the hell out of it. Coach Ditka, strong words there. I appreciate your time, sir. Best to you. I hope we get to talk to you again soon. Take care. Thank you. Newsmax TV is now America's fastest growing cable news channel. We give you the real news you need. So subscribe to our YouTube channel and give us a thumbs up. If you like this video, share it with your friends. Newsmax TV streams live on YouTube for free. Newsmax TV, real news for real people. Jamel Hill was more pointed. Many of you are saying that Alejandro Villanueva had the right to his opinion. But the team of week, but the theme of week one is unity and honoring those who have been victimized by police. Then please explain to me what exactly is the other side. I'd rather someone make a sincere gesture than just follow to follow. We walk different journeys. Villanueva is a patriot. He served with valor. His gesture may untimely draw attention necessarily for Black Hero to receive the Medal of Honor. He sees it as a worthy cause too. Jose de Jesus Ortiz responded back to her. Of course, she didn't like that. I'm confused as to how unity and being against police violence is somehow contrary. He also didn't tell his teammates beforehand, and sorry, that comes off like there's an issue. He could have picked any time to make this statement. So why pick this week? Because he can. That's why. He fucking can. I played Dick in there because I wanted to. From an article... And I, I keep hammering this because you're on the wrong side of fucking history, all of you. Um, you have to put out articles like this. Today's, uh, essay today's armor, excuse away fan and disinterest. The America's souring NFL narrative started four years ago of Colin Kaepernick was co-opted by the president. It's Trump's fault. Despite the rating disaster, the five most watched shows last week were the NFL. Tom Brady 
was one of them. Despite the pandemic, NFL signed. Sales of NFL merchandise are up 35%. She goes through all this shit and just comes at the end. Likewise, the death of Floyd Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery have forced the country to acknowledge systemic racism. No, it hasn't. And also inflated Armour's view of the NFL so-called policy prosperity and President Trump's recognition. His favorite dog whistle has lost his potency with his tweet on Monday about week one protests barely even registering a usual rageometer. So the NFL's not dying, not failing, not anywhere close to becoming irrelevant. That's a lie. That's a lie. They are trying to hawk NFL Sunday ticket. You know how I know that? Dish made me an offer for eight bucks a month. Eight dollars. Didn't take it, but $8. It's usually 15 Because people aren't doing the red zone. That's what they offer. They're just not. They're not doing it. So, to close out our A block, after we get done with this stupid shit, another thing that hit, and I'm not going to cover it in depth, is Donald Trump decided to write an executive order for the 1776 project. It's trolling, but it's really important when you really know what is being taught into our schools, which a lot of you don't. So as we segue out to our first break, I'm going to play a Tucker Carlson section, because once again, he's the only person covering it. And I had a lot of guilt about playing these Tucker Carlson sound bites, but you know what? I play CNN and MSNBC at nauseum. You could call this the Don Lemon Cuomo show because they say so much sawed-off bullshit that I don't feel bad playing a conservative, finally, who's actually fucking talking about things that most of us feel. And he's going to interview, he's going to do a thing on Hannah Nicole fucking douchebag who wrote the bullshit and has admitted it's not historical. And a teacher, a, a parent who found out what their fucking kids literally are being taught at school and was astoundingly shocked and by her accent she ain't a whitey let's put it that way you'll hear a song by oasis wonder all sorry it's oasis day and you'll come into a shocking video on our violent left of two tulsa cops One of them got shot, one got murdered. I'm playing it. It's horrific. Because the media didn't. Because it didn't fit their narrative. Right after the break. The Socialist Invasion, Sunday. The president today announced the creation of something called a Patriotic Education Commission. It would be designed to combat something called critical race theory, which is the lunatic lie that teaches our children some people are inherently worse than others. Some are morally tainted because of their skin color. That is the definition of racist propaganda. It's hard to believe that exists in our country, but it's flourishing. The president said that explicitly. Watch. Critical race theory, the 1619 Project, 
and the crusade against American history is toxic propaganda, ideological poison that if not removed will dissolve the civic bonds that tie us together, will destroy our country. That is why I recently banned trainings in this prejudiced ideology from the federal government and banned it in the strongest manner possible. Well, the usual partisans were outraged by this, needless to say. Don Beyer, a car dealer who somehow became a member of Congress, said it was fascism. But the geniuses were silent in June when the people behind the New York Times 1619 project, effectively the Bible of critical race theorists, encouraged rioters to destroy private property in the name of racial justice. Violence is when an agent of the state kneels on a man's neck until all of the life is leached out of his body. Destroying property which can be replaced is not violence. And to put those things, uh, to use the exact same language to describe those two things, I think really um, it's, not, it's not moral. When did dumb, violent people get so much power in this country? By the way, if that woman's private property was destroyed, I bet she'd be saying something very different. So the president's decision to ban critical race theory indoctrinations at the federal agencies earlier this month was an important step. But you'd be wrong if you thought this poison is confined only to the U.S. government. Just about every single K-12 school in America has ramped up their propaganda efforts this year to teach children that this is a fundamentally bad country, that some people are fundamentally flawed because of the way they look, and that the whole American experiment is basically essentially racist and therefore immoral. Even though the 1619 Project contains fundamental and verifiable historical falsehoods, it's garbage, it's not real history, teachers in Chicago, Newark, New Jersey, and Washington are already using it in their classrooms. No one stopped them, so they are. We're going to look back on this in shame and horror. Even schools that haven't specifically adopted the 1619 Project are taking a similar approach. Sometimes they're even more radical. This show has obtained a lesson plan from the Buffalo public school system that goes far beyond teaching bad history and deliberately advances the agenda of Black Lives Matter, of a political organization. For example, one lesson plan teaches fourth and fifth graders to question the importance of their parents, of their own mothers and fathers. The lesson plan instructs teachers to discuss various, quote, guiding principles with students, including so-called black villages, that assist in the, and we're quoting now, disruption of Western nuclear family dynamics and a return to the collective village that takes care of each other. They're teaching this to your kids, that your family should be destroyed. Why are we allowing this? You know what this is. It's an all-out war on the most important thing we have, which is the American family, the one thing that could help bring back some of our corroding cities. Nothing else has worked. We've spent over a trillion dollars. It hasn't worked. That's demonstrable. Families do work, and anyone who's emerged from a place like that, of any background or color, can tell you families are essential. And yet, they're teaching children that families, their families, are the problem. Another lesson plan explains to second, third, and fourth graders that, quote, the need for the BLM movement. Oh, okay. Now, you might think a Marxist organization that destroys private property and wants to place parents is a bad thing, but that's not what your children are learning. Other lesson plans actually teach students the specifics of the BLM platform, which rejects Western family structures. 
Another lesson plan for grades two through four explains why all lives matter is a problematic phrase. Yeah, all lives don't matter. This is insane, and it doesn't stop in elementary school. The goal is to redefine education at all levels and turn it into a shell for propaganda. At the Thomas Jefferson School for Science and Technology in Alexandria, probably the best public school in the United States, officials are eliminating their merit-based admissions system. Why? In the name of diversity. They've replaced a rigorous application process with a random lottery system. Will the school survive? No, of course not. It will not be the best school in the country. They just wrecked it. In a few years, there might not be any top schools left in this country. Critical race theory, though, will probably flourish, and that's the whole point. Why are we letting this happen to our children? Max Eden is a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. He joins us tonight. Max, thanks so much for coming on. How widespread is this poison, and it is poison? Yeah, you know, Tucker, it's hard to get a good grasp at exactly how widespread it is. Uh, you know, you see things on social media. You would like to think they're anecdotes. When you see a school district like Buffalo, just put that out there as though they're proud of it. It's cause for deep alarm. I mean, that came from the school district's Department of Culturally Responsive Education, right? And New York State adopted statewide standards in culturally responsive education, the architect of which was an education professor who has literally said that it is white supremacism to expect black students to read and speak American Standard English. Just the other week, another superintendent in New York said that we shouldn't teach the success stories of black Americans because doing so uh, somehow denies or undercuts their ideas of systemic racism. Uh, I think we can expect that this is a, you know, full-on states have committed to it. Individual teachers who have a sense of social justice defined by critical race theory are going to take it into their own hands, even if it's not necessarily on the school district's website. So let, let, let's get to, to the core idea that I think we, mm -hmm. should, we should work to fight, and that is the idea of blood guilt. They did it. Some people mm -hmm. are born with guilt. Some people are born inferior. Some people are born superior. We rejected that as a nation a long time ago. We have a monument on the mall as a testament to the fact we rejected. How common is that lie in our schools? Yeah, well, I think it, this really ties into the 1619 project, uh, which, you know, you discussed the falsehoods of it, but I think the audience needs to realize this isn't just being adopted in major school districts. Teachers are taking it into their own hands. And the true purpose of this, according to Nicole, uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones, is to advance reparations. And she has said further from that that that's her goal because she decided uh, that it was more realistic than, and I quote, how can we stop white Americans from being white? Now, curriculum can't affect skin color. What this is about is what you're saying. It's about blood guilt. Uh, it's about this critical ideology that takes things that you and I, most Americans, think are virtues, things like the nuclear family, things like uh, a sense of urgency, delayed gratification, defines them as whiteness and tells your kids uh, that it's your job to dismantle white supremacism. They have no right to do this. They have no right to destroy our children. They have no right to destroy our schools. And soon we're going we're gonna to put an email address on our screen starting tomorrow and going forward. For any parents who've seen examples of this, please send them to us. I, I, I agree with you, Max, that this is likely ubiquitous. And until we know its extent, we really can't fight against it, which we should do. Maxine, I hope you'll come back. Thank you. I would love to. Thank you. Well, just a few months ago, and you'll remember this story, the city of Philadelphia is now requiring fourth and fifth graders to read something called Not My Idea, a book about whiteness. 
It teaches children that their parents are racist if they defend the police or complain about protesters who are blocking the road. The book also says that people who don't watch media reports about police shootings are complicit in racism. The school's Cultural Proficiency Committee has mandated several other programs for young children, including classes that teach kindergartners that just asking other people questions can be racist. We reached out to the Lower Marion School District, which includes Gladwin Elementary. It's one of the richest school districts in the nation. And they responded to us this way, quote, The Lower Marion School District fully supports the ongoing implementation of an anti-racist curriculum in its schools and encourages the use of developmentally appropriate books that raise awareness of the very real issues of racism and privilege. In other words, up yours. This is what we're doing. So why are parents allowing schools to teach their own children to hate them for the color of their skin? Elena Fishbein is the mother of a student who attended Gladwin Elementary. She's since moved out that child out of the district for obvious reasons. She joins us tonight. Thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. So tell us your experience with this school in what our viewers may not know is a fairly well-known school district and known for having excellent schools. But you moved your child out. Why? Indeed. In fact, uh, many people move uh, to our area because of the quality of the education in public schools. Uh, Actually, I have two kids there. Uh, Last year, they were second grade and fourth grade. And um, this has been going on now for a while. This is not something new that started right now. Little by little, the school has been uh, introducing different subjects that we were concerned about. And I raised my concern with the principal, with teachers, with the counselors, uh, and they kind of uh, brushed it off. But uh, just before the end of the school year, literally two days before the end of the school year, as a result of all the unrest and riots, uh, they introduced what, as you uh, rightfully uh, called, the cultural proficiency curriculum and a lesson plan. And that lesson plan included the books that you mentioned, as well as others. Uh, and uh, when my husband and I were looking at the, at the program, we were totally alarmed. And obviously, we um, opted our kids out of the lessons. Uh, as, the school, uh, uh, as the school year finished, we wrote a letter to the superintendent of our, of our Lower Marion School District, as well as to the principal and the school board, and uh, they totally ignored us. Uh, in that letter, we actually questioned the validity of uh, this kind of teaching and emphasizing that, in fact, this teaching turned Martin Luther King teaching upside down. Yes, All that's right. those years they have been in teaching our kids about the beautiful philosophy of Martin Luther King, and they were rejoicing in this kind of teaching. And all of a sudden, this is totally turning it upside down. That's right. And uh, we received no reply to our concern. And uh, therefore, I decided a few weeks later to post my letter to the superintendent on the Facebook of the parents' school uh, Facebook page. And uh, I was uh, totally taken by the harsh criticism. And in fact, in some places, I told them that they are like lynching me of some parents. Um, And this kind of uh, criticism, uh, and obviously, as you know, the kind of name they call us, uh, racist, not in our school, etc. The interesting thing, though, and that's what uh, launched, uh, that's what uh, created our movement. The interesting thing is that those were the vocal voices. 
I received at the same time a lot of yeah. uh, emails and uh, messages from grandparents and families that supported me, but also at the same time, the threat throughout those messages was, we are afraid to talk. We are afraid to resist. Well, thank God that you weren't. And by the way, all those good liberals love immigrants until they're disobedient, I notice, and then they attack you. Uh, Elena Fishbein, thank you so much for telling your story on our show and for your bravery. We need more of it, much more of it. Appreciate it. I hope I can just mention that we created the movement called No Left Turn in Education. And you can find us on Facebook as well as on the Internet. It's a very simple to remember. It's a traffic sign of No Left Turn. No Left Turn in Education. Amen. Elena Fishbein, thanks. Today is gonna be the day that they're gonna throw it back to you By now you should have somehow realized what you gotta do I don't believe that anybody feels the way I do about you now Backbeat, the word is on the street that the fire in your heart is out You've heard it all before, but you never really had a doubt I don't believe that anybody feels the way I do about you now
poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly away. While the media calls it peaceful, we call it the violent left. I, I, I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country. Maybe there will be. People need to start taking to the streets. This is a dictator. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there is unrest in our lives. Enemies of the state. Show me where it says that protest is supposed to be polite and peaceful. Do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless. When they go low, he kills. How do you resist the temptation to run up and wring her neck? The biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized, right up to the right. I thought he should have punched him in the face. So even if you lost, he insulted your wife. Yes. He came down the escalator and called Mexicans rapists and murders. He said, well, what do you think I should have done? I said, I think you should have punched him in the face and then gotten out of the race. Okay. You would have been a hero. I'd like to punch him in the face. I said, if we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. Punch some people in the face! When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? They're still going to have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump, and that's a fact. The country is right-wing. Most of them radicalized right up to the right. All punches are not equal morally. And please, show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. No, I know. You went on the Trace's screen. Yeah. Just one person in the car? Yeah. Alright, David. You said you have a driver's license? You said you have a driver's license? Yes, I just, I just used okay. it. I, well, here's the deal, I man. Had, here's, here's the I deal. Just, I so, just won a jackpot, so they had my license. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not worried about the jackpot right now. So what I need you to do is step out of the vehicle. What? Well, first let me ask you one more time. Do you have anything in the vehicle? I need to Why know. are you shining that in my face? I can't. So I can I'm see trying to talk to you, but you're shining that light in my face. Do you have anything in the vehicle? Because you've got a history of narcotics. I know, and y'all always fuck with me just because I have a history. Mm-hmm. Can I get my ticket and fucking go, man? Well, all right. Dude, I know my fucking happen. rights, dude. Can I just get my ticket and go, dude? I, 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 I pulled in front of him. I'm sorry. Hey, David. I'm just trying to go to David. my house, man. David. I got people waiting on me, David. Dude. Stop talking. Here's what's going to happen. I don't have a history of narcotics, would you fucking say? Drug paraphernalia, narcotics, whatever it is. You got a history. Oh, my God. That, and that got dropped. That got dropped. Okay. I'm not going to. Well, you can't. 
Hang on, step. You can't take bullshit. Don't fucking open my door. David, step out of the vehicle. Come on. This is bullshit, dude. You wouldn't be here if you didn't pull out in front of the cop car while I got a green light, dude. I pulled out in front of you. I had plenty of fucking room. This step is bullshit. Out of the car. Step out of the car. I'm not stepping out of the car. Step out of the car. I am not. You better call your supervisor or something. Y'all are Man. breaking. I'm right here. I'm the sergeant. Dude, He's asking you to step out of the car. I'm not stepping out of my car. You have two choices. You can step out under your own power, or... This is bullshit, dude. I just got this car. Okay. Why can't you give me a fucking chance, dude? Like, fuck. Well, why don't you step out of the car and let us talk about it instead because of sitting I, here... I know my rights. I know what Okay, right works. now... Y'all are gonna... Y'all are gonna fucking... I know how this works. Here's, a, here's the deal. Right now, you're driving a car that's over 60 days due on the tag. I'll get a tag. You don't have insurance. I do have insurance. Where is it? Man. But, man... Y'all can look it up. Y'all can look it we up. We can't yeah. if you haven't no. got a tag, but we need you to step out of the car. Now. You have two choices. You can step out of the car. Or I can drag you out. Or we can tase you. For what? This is your, your breaking. Look. Hey. Y'all are. Step out of the car. Man, now. This is my Do you right. want to get tased? Why are y'all doing this? Because you're refusing to follow a lawful order. I need you to step out it's of the not car. A lawful order. It is a lawful order, and I will it's tase not. you if you're in the car. Man, this is, you, you have a choice. Or under your own power, please or I will. I am the supervisor. Please. I'm call. a sergeant. Hey, please. Dude, just step out of the car right now. Otherwise, you are getting tased. Do I need to arc it one more time? What? Step out of the vehicle now. I don't have to. Yes, you do. No, I don't. Oh, I, I did a driving infraction. Please. Yeah, and I told you already you need to get out of the car because the car's getting towed, too. Why? You need to step out. I'm about done arguing with you. Please. If I have to tase I you... Go no, if I have to tase you, it is going to be that much worse. Sir, can I please just go home? Right now, I can arrest you for obstruction because you're failing to follow a lawful command. Step out of the car. I cannot be any more clear than that. If you step out and be cool, this will go a whole lot better than if you make me tase you and force you out of How the car. How you do this, man? Step out of the car. Dude, y'all are, are violating my rights. One more time. Y'all are violating my rights. That's what, by force and fear. Then, You're okay. violating my Look, rights. Look, I don't know where you got your law degree. I don't have a law then degree. Then shut up and get out of the car. I'm not getting out, dude. This is this is bullshit, dude. Call your supervisor. I Call am the supervisor. Help. These people are trying. These people are. Help, somebody. Are you going to get out or am I going to tase you? This is, Are you going to get rights? out of the car, or do I tase you? I am not. Get I, out of the I, car. Danger, please, please don't tase me, sir. Then get out danger. of the car. Please, sir. That's it. Please, sir. Step out. Come on. Please, sir, stop this. Step out. Call the supervisor, please. Do you see this? I want your supervisor. Well, she's not here. That would be the captain. Step out of the car. Now. Please. Please. Hey, don't I'm be reaching for. Phone. Help, Matt. These, these dude, cops. get off the phone now. Right. We're gonna. That's it. I'm gonna tase you in three, two, I'm, I'm, one. Do you want it or not? 
please don't step out of the car. I'm I'm not. Step out of the vehicle now. No, I know my rights. You know nothing. Get out of the car. You can't shoot me. I'm not doing anything. I'm not going to shoot you. I'm going to tase you. There is a difference. Or I can deploy OC because you've been given a lawful command to step out of the car. Lawful command to step out of the car. I don't have to. Get out of the car, or I will tase you and I will drag you. Matt, please come over here and witness this. No. Get out of the car. By Dollar General pulled in David the Allen Ware. Please. What's his name? David Anthony Ware. David, please. step please. out. Matt, pull up. Step out of the car. If he comes. Matt, Matt, be smart. Just video not come here. David, videotape it, please. Three, then you need to step out. You can turn on your own camera, but you're on both of our cameras. Step, David. Write me my ticket. David, step out of the car. I'm not going to tell you again. Get out of the car now. This is a driving infraction, please, sir. Get out of the car because I have to tow it, and I can't tow it with you in it. You don't have to tow it. Get out. I told you I'm towing it. Bullshit. Why? Get out of the car. David, step out of the car. David, get out of the car and I will find it. No, y'all, that's, that's, this is my car, y'all. Don't Taser! I'm going to hit him. Are you ready? Just fucking get out of the car! Fuck you, dude. What the fuck? Get out of the car! Fuck! Get out! Back up. You want to get sprayed? No, no, no. Get out! Okay. Now! I'm getting out. Get out of the damn car! Now, or I will spray you! Fucking ground. On the Why? ground! On the ground! Man, I don't want to go to jail, Get out of the car! Get out! Now! I will, I will spray you again! Okay. Get on the ground! Get on the ground. Get on the ground now. On the ground. Please stop. 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 Please. Why? Get on the fucking car. Why are you doing this? Get out. Why are you doing this? Please stop. Help. Help. Get out please. of the car. Get out of the car. Get Matt, out of the car. Please. Matt, please help. That's Dude. my friend. Please help. Stop. You're violating my rights. David, stop. get out of the car. Stay in the help. car. Matt, help. Left arm. Help. Left arm. I got this arm. Matt, Come help. Out. Help. Help. Get out of the car. Help. not even in gear. Help. David, you want to get sprayed? Help. I'm going to spray you again. Get out of the car. Get out. Help. You got him. What the fuck? You got him. What the fuck? Why is that not national news? Two Tulsa police officers, Sergeant Craig Johnson and Ashura Zarkesian, 
was shot by a man during an extremely tense traffic stop on June 29th this year. Johnson was killed, and the suspect, David Ware, faces multiple charges, including first-degree murder. David Anthony Ware, 33, could face the death penalty on a first-degree murder charge in connection with Johnson's death. He's also charged with shooting Zarkeesian with intent to kill him, as well as drug possession with intent to distribute possession of a firearm with a felony conviction. Jessica Fletcher tweeted it. Very graphic video released from the shooting of Tulsa officers and traffic stop. One of them died. This is what they face on a daily basis. Tasers and pepper spray often don't work. Remember this scene when you're quick to condemn officers in escalating situations. The dank night. This video is horrific. Just two officers doing their job exactly how they were trained. You won't see a single protest for this. And you won't. You won't. They still don't care about L.A. Jamel Hill. 606 lawsuits are filed against L.A. police with 539 against the L.A. County Sheriff's Office. The county spent $81 million settling or litigating these suits. What happened to these officers was awful, awful, but it's funny how the police want everyone else to be accountable but them. Because the, the sheriff... I want to make a challenge LeBron James, Sheriff Villanueva, says Lakers star social activist should step up and help double reward to find a gunman who shot the deputies. Rando reborn. What happened to these officers was awful. But. But. It's always the but. She doesn't give a fuck. She just doesn't give a fuck. And neither do the media. Here's a montage. Chris Cuomo Lemon basically laughing. ABC and NBC spike the amount of fucking damage things are uh, that have happened during all the riots. CNN smears make a great make America great again. Shameless CNN argues BLM protests are safe, but COVID isn't. Now, too many see the protests as the problem. No, the problem is what forced your fellow citizens to take to the streets. Persistent and poisonous inequities and injustice. And please, show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Nationwide unrest sparked by the police killing of George Floyd could lead to the highest insurance payout of its kind in history. The protests in late spring were mostly peaceful, but damage from looting and arson will cost one to two billion dollars in claims. That's according to the Insurance Information Institute, and that would eclipse the previous high, the 1992 riots that followed the acquittal of four officers in the beating of Rodney King. Your slogan, we're going to hear it a lot today at the fair. We're going to make America great again. When was, the la- when was the last time America was great? I would say during the administration of Ronald Reagan, you felt proud to be an American. You mm-hmm. felt really proud. I don't think since then, to any great extent, people were proud. Then let me ask you this. I'm not trying to play a little gotcha here, but in 1987, you took out a full-page ad. This is during the Reagan administration, and you said this to the American people. For decades, Japan and other nations have been taking advantage of the United States. On message, by the way, consistent. The world is laughing at America's politicians as we protect ships we don't own, carrying oil we don't need, destined for allies who won't help. 
Message-wise, very consistent. Well, I mean, but this, from day one, including during the let's, Reagan. I was look, just going to say, let's NAFTA. not let our great country be laughed at anymore. Right. If that's the last time America was great again, you didn't think America no, was great then. No, I, I thought America was excellent. I think NAFTA was a huge mistake. I thought right. it was a terrible mistake, and you know that was. But I just think that he set a tone that was an excellent tone for this country. Uh, well, I mean, he said the, the man asked him, "Make America yeah. great." Was when he came right. down in 2015 down that escalator. It was make yep. America great again. But he says for the last six months, he did not answer the question. When was it great? When was a greater time for African-Americans? He keeps saying, well, this is before the pandemic. That's not the question. That's not the question. No. He keeps saying they. Like who? But anyway, and is there a race problem? I hope there's not a race problem. Oh, my gosh. Go, go yeah. on. No, look, Don, uh, there are going to be black voters who support Trump this time around. I say that the over-under is the 8% that he got in yeah. 2016. But he did not answer the question, to your point, because he could not answer the question. Trump has been able, the president has been able to skate by for almost four years whenever he's asked about race by throwing out the African-American unemployment rate. But he couldn't answer the question about make America great again because that slogan, which is an insult, either means, in my view, that America was somehow ungreat under his predecessor, the first black president, or alternatively, that he wants to take the country back to a point in time far enough back where, at the same time, black citizens in this country, citizens of color in general, women, etc., were not equal to white men. That, that is a, it, it's a euphemism, but that is ultimately, at least in my view, what the takeaway has been for so many people, particularly African-Americans. And when he tried to slip the answer by again with unemployment numbers, he had two problems. One is the gentleman who was questioning him, who was so on point, he should be in the White House briefing room. I'm sorry I don't have his name. Um, the gentleman had the immediate follow-up stressing again, what does that word again mean mm -hmm. to you? president in the answer. And the second problem is that President Trump tried again and again, Don, to go back to, well, six months ago, before COVID, things were rosy. But here's the reality of the numbers. The black unemployment rate in January of this year was 6%. That was a one and a half percentage point drop from when he took office, which is good. But it doesn't compare to the over five percentage point drop over President Obama's, his predecessor's, eight years in office. Trump may improve on that in the future, but right now, he it's puffery when he says things were the best before COVID for black people in America. David Swerdley, thank you. Listen, I hope there's not a race problem. We have had uh, a number of partisans and, and, and even Jared Kushner in the White House talking to Wolf about this on Tuesday, the Trump campaign communications director, Tim Murtaugh, um, talking about the impact of indoor rallies on the spread of COVID versus uh, outdoor protests for the Black Lives Matter movement. Just, just listen to this from Mr. Murtaugh. If people can protest in the streets by the tens of thousands, if people can riot, if people can gamble in casinos, then certainly they can gather peacefully under the First Amendment to hear from the President of the United States. Um, I, I hear the casino point, but to the, to the protests outside versus indoor rallies, uh, what is your take? 
I think it's important for us to, as public health experts, to lead with the science. And the science tells us that this is a virus that does not discriminate. It doesn't care why it is that people are gathering, but it does care about the conditions under which they're gathering. So outdoors, much safer than indoors. Wearing masks, obviously much safer than not wearing masks. And I also, in this case, would distinguish between the behavior of the participants while at protests versus rallies. At protests, many people are aware of the risks and are doing everything they can to reduce that risk versus at many of these rallies we're seeing people going in defiance and it's their behavior during those events there was a study looking at over 300 cities where protests occurred and they did not find surges of infections tied to these protests understood dr lena wen thanks for breaking through the fog of confusion and and disinformation to to lead us back i threw the cuomo in there because i keep adding to our bumper That murder is no different than a protest. You guys are doing it everywhere. This is what you do. Catherine Heritage, whistleblower, Portland protest breaking. According to the DH Gov, DHS Gov internal email obtained by CBS News, former acting undersecretary for intelligence and analyst Brian Murphy wrote colleagues on July 25th of the Portland violence was not opportunistic, but organized, citing anarchist or Antifa. We can't say any longer this violent situation is opportunistic. Additionally, we have an overwhelming intelligence regarding the ideologies driving individuals towards violence, why the violence has continued. A core set of threat actors are organized to show up night after night and share common TTPs, that's military jargon for tactics, techniques, and procedures. Threat actors who are motivated by anarchists or Antifa are a combination of both ideologies to carry out acts. Andy NGO. Thank you for printing this, because he already—he's been printing it forever. And then he shows Peter Gelderus, author of Extreme Antifa book that argues for violence against the state, has released instructions on Twitter on how to make spikes to slash vehicle tires. Rebarb caltrops are using Antifa riots in Portland to stop vehicles. It's like something the Taliban would do. Dan, I just checked, and the post is still up. Twitter allows this. I guess Twitter's too busy warning us about jokes to worry about terrorists literally advocating violence and providing detailed instructions to create and use weapons against police. Yeah, Twitter don't give a fuck. They don't give a fuck. They're down with the cause. Daily Caller. A man faces up to 30 years in prison for allegedly sexually assaulting an 8-year-old girl is among those who were bailed out by jail, of jail by the Minnesota Freedom Fund And donations by Camelia Harris. Jake Snyder. Her donation page for bail fund, which literally has her face on it, is still active. And then in this article, we're old enough to remember that she also had a Planned Parenthood on her Senate campaign website to donate to PPFV. At the same time, Project Veritas was showing that they were a baby chop shop. The MFF has struggled to spend spend the $35 million it receives following Floyd's death. The group revealed in its early September that only about 6% of the 3,475,000 they've gotten since Floyd's death has actually been used to bail people out. At least 13 staffers for Joe Biden's presidential campaign also donated to this shitty place. 
Timothy Wayne Columbus, 36, faces up to 30 years of prison for allegedly sexually assaulting an 8-year-old girl in 2015, court records show. He was released from Minneapolis jail in early July on $75,000 bail, according to jail records. Columbus was a registered predatory offender for a separate incident prior to his arrest in June, according to the statement. A registered sex offender also received support from MFF earlier in the summer. A local station showed that 350000 was paid for Christopher Boswell. He is charged with kidnapping sexual assault, according to the outlet. Pixie Girl 666 asked, I wonder if CNN Politics or MSDNC report on this. Ards are, it's a big old no. It's a big old no. And simultaneously it breaks... Minneapolis City Council members, some of whom supported defunding the city's police department, say their constituents are terrified by violence. And there was actually video on the Tucker Carlson show showing them going, what's going on, Sheriff? Or police chief? What's going on? As they're surrounded by private security. Then the asshole who said the chicken's going to come home to roost. Breaking city of Linwood votes to place city manager Jose Montedubla on administrative leave following his Instagram post saying the chicken come home to roost. Response to shooting. There you go. But in regards to bail, Washington Examiner, Lancaster is taking the opposite approach from Portland. They're requiring $1 million per protester to get him out of bail. That is awesome. That is just awesome. It is the best thing ever. But our media is garbage on this. They're not going to report anything. They're going to report stuff like this. Ruby Kramer. Colin and Urge are children of immigrants, beloved by friends, lawyers, working to balance the justice system. Now they face 45 years for allegedly setting a fire to an empty cop car. One story from the Trump crackdown on BLM protesters. For an Albert Sama and me, two Black Lives Matter protesters allegedly set an empty cop car on fire. Now they face up to life. The federal case against the lawyers, Colin Mattis and Urujo blah, 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 is a stark example of how the Trump administration is cracking down on BLM protest. Lots of new reporting here, not only on the case and how and why it's almost immediately picked up by federal prosecutors, but also about the two human beings on the other end. Human beings don't burn cars. But that's our media. They feel more for these people than you. Stephen L. Miller. This is something. It's from BuzzFeed, of course. Isn't arson a crime? Correct me if I'm wrong. I guess they shouldn't have done that then. Too damn bad. Actions have consequences. They broke the law and endangered others. They deserve whatever punishment they get. Not shedding a single tear of empathy for these premeditated firebombers trying to blow up a police car during a riot, despite the misguided effort to paint them as freedom fighters. They definitely should have known better. Stephen L. Miller again. They threw a firebomb at a cop car in a city. It is an established terror target. BuzzFeed. Racist Trump is going after protesters. It goes on and on. It is the most sawed-off shit I've ever seen. Ever. 
But then I'm wrong, because the next thing comes in. Police hunt for Maine woman who left dog poop in Trump supporters' mailboxes defaced campaign signs. Man reportedly burns pro-Trump sign, punches elderly woman, pulls pocket knife during rally, then a retired cop jumps into action. On Friday, the Daily Mail reported that the suspect, Alvin Shaw, is a postal worker. Yeah. Postal worker. But we want to do mail-in ballots. I can do a whole section on mail-in ballots. Aaron Rupar called it out again. They are so for this ballot harvesting they're so for, like Michigan has now said they're going to accept ballots for 14 days after the due date. They're just going to steal the election is what they're doing. So there's really no way Trump's going to win. They're going to win the Senate, the House, and they're just going to steal it. And then I got to hope normals go, fuck you. Then we have some more Black Lives Matter great people that the media love. Somebody will write a story about how misunderstood this piece of shit who attacked a CVS manager is. By the way, the peaceful BLM protester was shoplifting. May I ask, um, so I live in the neighborhood, um, and I have come to the CVS very often. May I ask why you called the police on those two men? Um, CVS policy dictates that if they're shoplifters, mm-hmm. the exit store with merchandise unpaid for, yeah. we should get the police involved. And if the police apprehend them, mm-hmm. we issue a bond note. Okay. So I actually did not elect the first charge. I said, hey, look, I just want them to know they can't come in here anymore because they shoplifted. And I just need them to sign that. And I need my merchandise back. And the officers obliged. And the guy said the same thing. Thank you. And they left. It's not your merchandise. It's the store. So you know what happens when the police men or black people, and you decided to call the police on two black people that stole, that allegedly took something from the store because you're willing to uphold the policy and they could have lost their lives. We, we can agree to disagree on this because I don't work for you and I don't answer. I follow my company's policies, not your policies, where I can appreciate concerns. So I, you're willing to risk someone's life for what, $30,000 a year? There, That's There was no risk in my opinion. But, Thank you. You have a great night. Thank what you. is your name? My name is store manager. No, what is his name? No one's going to tell you my name when you're sitting here videotaping us so that you can try and elicit some sort of violence against you. It's not going to happen. Elicit violence against you? You just elicited violence against two black men by calling the police on them. We got to walk away when one of them had a warrant could have been arrested and the cops still let him go. Just listen to yourself. You work with black folks. You just remember that. Or this great BLM patriot, freedom fighter, wiping their ass with the American flag. Hey, 
What the actual fuck? What the actual fuck is wrong with you? Once again, for those who knew the show, that's why I didn't go back to Oregon. They shit on a burning flag. I was in Afghanistan and I saw it. Oregonian ran it like it was a piece of art. And the piece of shit woman that did it, did it in front of a child. But it's it's our media. They, they can't see what they do to get this. Here's a blue check. Scientist. He, he does stuff. He's a data scientist for all these liberal sites. Nazi Germany didn't kill millions of people right away. It took years for the Holocaust to begin. Here's, there's nothing Trump won't do to hold on to power. Nothing. And he's running Hitler's playbook. And they did a timeline with him and Trump in this terrible picture of him. Johnny Blackout. He made a timeline, you guys. It's over. Think how twisted you have to be to do that. Seriously, think about that. I mean, it's commonplace. They've done it since Reagan. But how twisted are you in the head to believe a conservative who just doesn't think like you is Adolf Hitler? Then we have Johnny Joe, a vet. Thread, excuse my vulgar tweet. I'm absolutely furious right now. Joe Biden just told a story about a Marine veteran with traumatic brain injury running over a woman. I assume he meant PTSD. Killing her and her dog, then driving off with her body and molesting her. He then used a story to say we need to end the stigma that is the kind of Hollywood war to evil narrative that both discredited by statistical information and medical opinion extremely harmful to veterans suffering from the effects of war. These vets do not hurt themselves too often, but they are very rarely hurt others. They lose their will to live, not their souls. This is a disgusting display of inept pandering, void of conscience or fact, and y'all want us to care about anonymous sources when he's saying this. Wow. Steve Herman. The president says they're just headaches, but traumatic brain injury is real. They rarely hurt themselves, he says. 17 a day kill themselves. Kill themselves. No fact check. There's no fact check. There's no fact check on any of this shit. None of it. Uh, people's response, I was so shocked that I rewind and watch a second time. It was so jarring and so inappropriate. I was shocked when he told this story. What the hell was he talking about? That was unbelievable. The press should be all over this. I actually had to rewind my TV and listen to it again. I literally heard that during live broadcast too, and my head snapped around. They don't care about vets. They never will. They're too busy Pushing their narratives. I played the Tucker up front because I wanted to fill some time. But the 1619 Project is to this violence what bullets are to guns. 
It is what's feeding all this inane stupidity. And everybody went to bat when Trump went after this. Yamichi Alcinder, President Trump gearing up to tax 1619 in his speech today. Expect to say critical race theory, the 1619 project, and the crusade against American history is toxic propaganda and ideological poison that, if not removed, will dissolve the civic bonds that tie us together. Ben McDonald, show me the lie. She continues. An important note that President Trump gears up to attack the 1619 Project. Hannah Jones is a national treasure who put in context how America came to be. The black enslaved people is exploited in the way forward. We should all be grateful for the 1619 Project. It's a cult. Matt Whitlock. It's also important that the 1619 Project had to be torn to pieces by historians for minor details to the project's entire theses. And fact checkers of the project have come out publicly that they were ignored. Ken Buck, Congressman. 1619 Project has been widely criticized by dozens of historians of inaccuracy. She even said it wasn't historical. Another. Yamichi, this isn't journalism. This is editorializing. There have been numerous credible criticisms of this project, and Hannah Jones is responding extremely defensively, attacking her critics every time. Eric, Yamichi calls us a journalist while also saying this. Washington Post media critic asks President Trump which essay in the 1619 Project he found least compelling. Joe Cunningham, why would you expect anyone to read something that's thoroughly debunked by historians from the left and right? Omri Kieran, hey Eric, I think a lot of people who dug into these essays found that to be untenable as a coherent project, but A-plus on your part to ask this question, because it's a productive topic for public deliberation. Which essay in the 1619 Project did you find the most compelling? Timothy Watson. Maybe the one that linked double-entry bookkeeping, which has existed since the 16th century, to slavery. Hemish conservative. This really gives the game away. When they're confident in something, they just point to the experts and say, you can't argue with experts. But they're not confident in this at all, so they put the onus on the ones sliding with experts. Another tweeter. Is compelling the new standard for truth? I watched a compelling movie recently. It was totally someone's imagination. Fiction is not compelling. But they go to bat from this. Remember, in 1995, New York Times 1619 Project founder said she doesn't hate whites even though they're barbaric devils. That's what she said. And then you have the Lincoln Project. Going to play two. The first is their new ad. The second, it's just a compilation of Steve Smith or Schmidt, who used to be a Republican, but now he's a Democrat, and what he has said. And tell me this is not violent rhetoric. You have to feel the ray gun to believe it. It felt like scalding water.
Trump is the singularly greatest demagogue in American history. We have as a president a man of unprecedentedly loathsome and despicable character. His erratic behavior, his ignorance could pose a profound danger to every single person in this country and literally every inhabitant of the planet Earth. It's the most corrupt administration in American history, bar none. It will be the greatest scandal in the history of the United States. Bob Woodward induced a confession of the greatest lie in American history. The difference now between Venezuela and Cuba and the United States is this. Venezuela and Cuba are the countries without internment camps for babies and toddlers. It is the greatest malfeasance in the history of the United States. The greatest crime in American history. And we're heading into a presidential election, which is the most significant since the election of 1864, whether we would prevail in the Civil War. The most immoral plan ever articulated in the history of the country by a president. It's, a, it's an affront to the face of God. Today was a fantastic fulfillment of Osama bin Laden's vision by Donald J. Trump. The same type of propaganda that you would have seen in Germany in 1938, the dehumanization, turning people into infested vermin. This is Trump's Reichstag fire. She's the worst president in American history. The worst president in American history. The worst president in the history of the country. And his legacy will be mass death, will be suffering, at an epic level, an economic collapse. Fear-mongering. It's all fear-mongering. And literally think about Steve Schmidt. If anybody had ever talked about Obama, what would have been the outcome? They wouldn't have been on the air. And then here's just Trump's town hall, which I'm not covering, and their wish for debate. Tell me this kind of talking constantly, consistently, hasn't led to violence. Juju, on balance, this was, I think, a pretty good event for Donald Trump. He got to show another side of himself, uh, an empathetic side, talking about uh, the incredible death toll uh, from COVID-19. This was uh, something we rarely see from the president. The other piece of this, I would say, is that he showed incredible message discipline in the face of adversity. He didn't get knocked off his game. Now, do I think he was factually correct? No. I think what the president did tonight was to calmly and directly answer questions from members of the audience and to spar pretty good with our colleague George Stephanopoulos back and forth. So I think the president walked away from tonight um, feeling really relatively good about how things went, uh, and, and I think he should. This is one of the calmest performances I've seen, and he did get asked some very tough questions, some fair questions, uh, but they were confrontational, and he never lost his cool one time. Uh, But Juju, uh, on balance, an interesting town hall, a rare chance to see the president uh, truly face to face. President Trump and uncommitted voters in Pennsylvania at the ABC News town hall overnight. The president grilled on health care race, taking tough questions on his handling of the pandemic. Why did you throw vulnerable people like me under the bus? 
Why don't you wear a mask more often? Please stop and let me finish my question, sir. His handling of the pandemic under fire from the beginning. If you believe it's the president's responsibility to protect America, why would you downplay a pandemic? The president also on the defensive over health care. And this pastor, born and raised in Philadelphia, taking this moment of racial reckoning directly to the president and not letting up. You've coined the phrase, make America great again. Right. When has America been great for African-Americans in the ghetto of America? Are you aware of how tone deaf that comes off to African-American community? I got to ask, who are you voting for? Do you know? Man, uh... Well, I'll say it won't be Trump. He did almost nothing to talk about his vision for a second term and nothing to overcome what is his biggest weakness in this race, and that is his handling of the pandemic. Tough questions. Undecided voters take on President Trump in a nationally televised town hall. Why would you downplay a pandemic? This town hall style event really represented a rare moment that put him face to face with voters who are not his fierce supporters. President Trump on the defensive over his handling of the coronavirus facing a barrage of challenging questions from undecided voters. Tough questions. President Trump defends his coronavirus response during a town hall with voters who demand answers. Voter after voter pressed President Trump about his handling of the pandemic. Why don't you support a mandate for national mask wearing? And each time the president defended himself and deflected blame. Number one, I was personally very disappointed with the debate moderator choices, and I'm very disappointed in the way uh, our media has been questioning both of these candidates. I think we deserve better. These are uncom uncomfortable and very dangerous times, and I think that we should be asking both of these candidates uncomfortable questions, and the idea that we're going to have sort of very old-school journalists, no disrespect to the people who were chosen, who only get one hour and we can't stream, um, is, is, really, is really, I think, uh, not, not going to be sufficient, especially in the era of COVID. <laughs> when we already have had so much of a, of a back bump of not being able to get the kind of answers from both of these candidates that, that, that we need. So I think that's why this Joe Rogan conversation has gained so much traction and attention online. And I would love to see it happen, but I think, I, I think there's probably no way it's going to ultimately end up happening. But I do think if President Trump ends up doing an interview with Joe Rogan, it could be, it could be very fascinating and a game changer. I think that... Journalists should be hosting these debates. I think that we had someone like Lindsey Davis of ABC who did a spectacular job hosting the debates. Um, and that's I saw I Anderson Cooper. I thought he it. did an excellent job. Um, and so, you know, there are journalists that are quite capable. Um, I remember Gwen Eiffel did a wonderful job. I would like to see Jake Tapper do it. I think he's been an incredible journalist. He confronts them with their lies. I like that. Or The View. Maybe we could do it. That'd be something. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, no, I, I, like I don't idea. think we... I, I think we think we could do it, but we'd hear something we didn't like and people's heads would explode. <laughs> I, think they, I think everybody should go on The Breakfast Club and start That's with that true, if yes. you want to shake it up yes. and, mm. and visit lots of different... And by the way, what be Charlemagne has asked some of the best questions, but Charlemagne asked the best yeah, political questions so. of this entire cycle. But what does that say about our media? And he's a very smart, I don't think he's a journalist, but he's a, he's a host. He's incredibly no, astute he's host, not. but he's asked the best questions. So as we go out to break, I'm going to play Aaron out those N words because I'm going to play it every day until the fucking election. And then we'll come into our narrative. We're going to listen to another Oasis. Because I like him. Sorry. Next song, Champagne Supernova.
Compton. Nigga just aired the police out, nigga. They just the aired the police out, nigga. This the only it go up in Compton. Them niggas just got aired out, cuz. They just bust on them niggas, cuz. That's crazy. Damn. Oh, it goes down in Compton. Oh, they just got bust off. That nigga on a knee. Damn. Police just got aired out, nigga. They just got bust on, nigga. They just got aired out. They just got aired out, nigga. It's going up. Somebody bust on their ass. Somebody bust on the police, nigga. Damn, nigga. Oh. Oh, two sheriffs shot in the face. Two sheriffs shot in the face. They tripping. It's going up in concrete. Niggas bust on the police, nigga. Nigga, they just got aired out. Somebody ran up on the car and bust on their ass right through the window in the face and all, nigga. It's a wrap.
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. Move aside and let the man go through. Let the man go through. Move aside and let the man go through. Let the man go through. <clears throat> Thank you, Anderson. Mr. Vice President, I look out over my Biden sign in my front yard and I see a sea of Trump flags and yard signs. President Trump has said that he downplayed the coronavirus because he didn't want to cause panic. If you were president, could you see a scenario where you downplayed critical information so as not to cause panic? Not, not at all. The messaging on the coronavirus from the White House has been all over the place since February. It's been extremely inconsistent. It's caused so many people in this country to ignore the virus and not take the necessary precautions. How will you get the proper messaging out to all Americans to keep them informed as to how to properly protect themselves and others from this pandemic? Bob Woodward asked President Trump about white privilege and whether uh, whether or not he benefited from it. And the president said, no, I don't feel that way at all and sort of mocked Bob Woodward. Do you see ways that you've benefited from white privilege? Let me just follow up on that. You said you, you won't ban fracking, but that you wanted to gradually move away from it ultimately. Um, it sounds like to some you're trying to have it both ways. That, that I mean, politically, it's understandable why you might say that. But it, if fracking contributes to climate change and climate change is an existential threat, why should it fracking continue at all? So as you know, the entire West is on fire. Glaciers are melting and air quality is poor in many areas. The climate crisis cannot be ignored. I participated in many climate actions in recent years, and I am about to become a mother for the first time. As you know, black, Hispanic, and communities in poverty are more vulnerable to the climate crisis. Are you a firm supporter of the Green New Deal and how you will make sure our communities are protected? And that's the Biden town hall on CNN. Are we surprised? I mean, his answer to that lady about the sea of Trump signs, this election is but is Scranton versus Park Avenue, not against other people. But the genie's out of the fucking bottle, man. Here's Stephanie Rule on his reply. Michael, Joe Biden said yesterday that his campaign is Scranton versus Park Avenue. Why is he going with this divide and conquer approach? That's Trump's thing. What about a message for all Americans? I don't live on Park Avenue, but I live pretty close to it. And you know how I got there? Working my butt off. He doesn't want my vote. Did you hear it? The media. Yeah. They want punishment. They want Trump supporters to be put in their place and re-educated. Curious Huck. There have been six questioners so far at the first commercial break of CNN's Biden Town Hall. Five of the six are Democrats, and five of the six are from the left. Anderson Cooper has interjected eight times. Second segment had three more audience questions, all by Democrats, the two of the three being either neutral or from far left. Third segment, two audience questions, both from Democrats, one from a neutral from the right, while the other was from the left. And in the fourth and final segment, there were five audience questions with three from Democrats and two Republicans. My first glance at the transcript would put three on the left, one neutral, and two from the right. All told in terms of audience members for CNN's Biden Town Hall, not counting the slant and the questions, there were 16 total, and 13 were Democrats, three non-Democrats. 
Tuesday in ABC, there were 12 audience questioners. ABC defined them by a person who voted for in 16, whereas CNN was either Democrat or Trump voters in 16. On ABC, there were four who voted Trump in 16, three for Hillary, one for Stein, and three didn't vote, and one undefined. So that's how CNN did it. But do we actually get surprised by this? I'm just... I'm going to play it all as one. Our team Biden today, all right? Todd's, uh, fucking Chuck Todd's back, Seltzer. And then cheering on the Nets and MSDNC for Biden. I call this team Biden cheer. You have a big show on Sunday. Um, there are some ethical questions that are being thrown around about CNN lately. There's a 2016 audio of your president, Jeff Zucker, offering debate advice to President Trump that was released. Jake Tapper was recently caught trying to allegedly influence a congressional election. And I had serious problems with the way Chris Cuomo had a reoccurring primetime um, sort of comic routine with his brother instead of mm. asking about policies that were literally sending my friend Janice Dean's older relatives to die in nursing homes. So with the criticism, of CNN, do you believe that this is acceptable? And don't you think there's enough fair criticism to go all the way around right now in just how news networks are run? Well, first, I think you should write a book. You know, I, I think you've listed <laughs> off all of these storylines. A lot of them, though, are cherry-picked, you know, coming from these audio tapes that Tucker Carlson's been airing. And I do have a question about this that relates to my book. You know, Michael Cohen says these audio tapes were only held by Trump, the Trump Organization, and the DOJ. So all of a sudden, they're airing on Fox News. You have to wonder if it's another example of this feedback loop that exists between Trump and Fox. But look, I'm not a spokesperson for Fox, for, for CNN or Fox. I'm not a spokesperson for CNN. I, you know, it's not for me to comment on these tapes. Here's what I do think is sad, though. I think it's sad that private conversations get leaked out, get distorted, and then, you know, they become polarized and weaponized. That's the environment we're in, and that's sad, you know? If our text messages or if my phone calls with friends were suddenly taken I out of context and distorted, I, I feel like that's just... And let me put it this way. I think the Trump age has ruined a lot of friendships. I think that's really sad. And I hope we can start to rebuild. I hope we can start to rebuild those friendships rather than, you know, all feel like we're at war with each other. Brian, uh, you write about the struggle between the journalism side of Fox News and the... I mean, I got to think the Biden campaign couldn't believe that they couldn't believe their luck, if you will, of how the news cycle went yesterday and how the president almost elevated Joe Biden's remarks. Here's what he said about a vaccine. So let me be clear. I trust vaccines. I trust scientists. But I don't trust Donald Trump. And at this moment, the American people can't either. So Ali Vitale, you know, uh, as far as if you're the Biden campaign, yesterday couldn't have gone any better for you. He laid out that speech. Redfield makes his comments. The president does we did. And they almost can say, Look, see, we told you so. Biden is pressing this idea of leadership. And so as much as that's in the pandemic bubble, that's really been the message all along is what kind of leader do you want? Now he has crises that he can use as examples as he continues to further that message. But while Biden is talking about leadership during the pandemic and trying to highlight Trump's mishandling of it, you and Kelly are both right. There is this kind of inexplicable politicization that Trump is actually opting for, despite the fact that politically that doesn't actually work for him a vaccine on a timeline of the election after he's politicized it so much i'm not sure that even looks like a win meantime senator kamala harris is under fire for comments on monday where she briefly refers to herself as the top of the ticket listen 
a Harris administration together with Joe Biden as the president of the United States, the Biden-Harris administration will have access, provide access to $100 billion in low interest loans and investments for minority business owners. She did correct herself, but as you might imagine, the Trump campaign is having a field day with that one. Bill. Don't want to screw that one up, do you? You've said the climate crisis is real and we need federal government solutions. Joe Biden has proposed some major changes. How do you convince the American people that it's imperative? While it may seem very expensive, it's what we need. Because right now, Americans are saying they're dealing with major economic fallout from the pandemic. They can't address this. Absolutely. Well, we just point to here in Los Angeles. We just made uh, one of the cheapest deals in the country, for instance, for solar energy. One of the things that Joe Biden has pushed, it created jobs and it was cheaper than a new gas plant. Uh, so it's cheaper, it's healthier, and it's creating jobs. In fact, about one out of four jobs we've created here in Los Angeles have been by investing in a Green New Deal that puts forward um, a new energy economy, electrifying our transportation, making our buildings more efficient. You know, when you make a building more efficient, it's actually cheaper for the landlords and for the tenants. When you uh, make, a, you know, the buses electric, they run on uh, an energy that costs less to the rider and to the system. These things make sense not only financially, but Joe Biden is going to put millions of jobs into the hands of Americans, especially in those places that fueled last century's energy revolutions with oil and gas. Now it's time from Appalachia all the way over here to the West Coast to do that for all of America. Why does that message get lost? Why are there those who think, oh, all this spend, this is just by science enthusiasts and this is going to take away jobs, this is going to hurt the economy? What you just laid out for us are facts that will help us from an environmental perspective and an economic perspective and a health perspective. How does that somehow get lost in translation? Because by what you just laid out, that doesn't sound political. It sounds essential. It is absolutely. This is the fight of our life. This has to be the climate decade, a decade of action. Too late to reverse what we've done, but maybe not too late to mitigate it, to save our lives, to stop millions or if not billions of climate refugees from uh, traveling on this globe and, and disrupting security. Um, I think it's because there's a lot of people who have a lot of power in the old system, including this president. He wants to reward his cronies. He wants to uh, make sure that our um, uh, you know, cars continue to pollute, um, that his billionaire friends make uh, some short-term money. But I've always said the sh uh, long-term costs of living cheaply are very, very expensive. It's time to save American taxpayers money and get jobs for Americans who right now are suffering because of the mismanagement of COVID-19. Short-termism helps no one. I do want to switch gears before you go. And I President Trump visits hard-hit California and dismisses climate change as a problem. I don't think science knows, actually. Joe Biden now calling the president a, quote, climate arsonist. The president visiting California between campaign stops, dismissing climate change. Earlier in the day, Joe Biden criticizing Trump for what he describes as his disdain for science and facts. If you give a climate arsonist four more years in the White House, why would anyone be surprised if we have more America blaze? Climate fight, President Trump refuses to accept climate change as a factor in the wildfires, drawing harsh words from Joe Biden. In California, President Trump dismissed scientific evidence that climate change is behind the extreme weather. Democratic nominee Joe Biden called him a climate arsonist who is endangering Americans. Biden blasted the president, who has rolled back climate regulations and downplayed the threat of climate change for years. If you give a climate arsonist four more years in the White House, 
Why would anyone be surprised if we have more America blaze? Fanning the flames with wildfires ravaging the West, wiping out entire neighborhoods. That's the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. President Trump heads to California and dismisses climate concerns. And this is what they're voting for. This is what they're defending. Here's an audio of Biden stepping off his private plane, but he's the green guy, waving at nobody. It was a staged video for the media, but there's nobody there. Nobody met him. And then this despaccio thing. Candidate for president in this race is walking off the plane, arriving in Florida just moments ago. Former Vice President Joe Biden, he's there to try to court the team of I just have one thing to say. Hang on here. <laughs> All right. There you go. Dance a little bit, Joe. Come on. I tell you, my man. <laughs> I tell you what. If I had the talent of any one of these people, I'd be, I'd be, elected president by acclamation. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, environmental justice, so we can turn a faucet on and drink water, breathe clean air. I'm sorry. I'm about to end, but no, live. You know, we have to live. So I mean, we have to just give people a. You heard the media narrating it. If Trump would have gone down the stairs and waved at nobody, don't you think they'd point it out? No. But that despaccio, th- I don't even fucking understand. And then uh, the last one was John Nicosa. What the fuck is Joe Biden trying to say here? Malcolm Flex, a black guy. I think we can all agree that the real MVP here is the sign language interpreter. It's one thing to interpret English, but improv gibberish interpretation is just the next level. They let Biden get away with anything. The fact is, Iran is closer to a nuclear bomb today than it was when Donald Trump took office. Every day he's changed, every day he's in charge of our national security is another day our enemies are emboldened and the American people are at risk. A reply. Question should be, did he slow them down from when you and Barry let them do as they pleased? This is the guy that was in the administration that just handed him money. Chris Saliza, Trump would have had to read roughly 2.2 pages a minute in order to finish the whole book on the flight. That's less than 30 seconds per page. The average reader takes about 1.7 minutes to read a book page, which is a fast reader just over one minute. This was a, a fact check off what he said. I'm not even reading it. It's a whole fucking article on CNN of him saying he read a book on a plane. David Cole Gray, I've already covered this, dim bulb. Trump simply skipped the lines made up by unnamed sources and taken out of context quotes in the Woodward opinion on Woodward's opinion. It would reduce reading time to about 30 minutes. Grow up, crybaby. (laughs) Ian Milheiser. I believe that if you did not win the popular vote, your 
presidency is illegitimate. Still going with that. Illegitimate. Four years in their presidency. Illegitimate. And then we have this brave firefighter, Patrice Elizabeth Peterson. I asked the former vice president if the gloves were off against Donald Trump. Biden said yes. He also added that when it comes to his support with Hispanic, his numbers are much higher than Trump's. Florida tomorrow, Mr. Vice President. We talk about how many work like the government make sure I Why why are your numbers supposed they are among Hispanic voters right now? Much higher than his. They gotta go higher. Are the gloves off? What the actual fuck? Joe Martino, wow, take the week off after that hard, in-depth session. Kurt Schilster, way to dig, brave firefighter. Another, that's it? That's the number of questions he answered? And these are the real challenging questions journalists ask him. Yet he still won't even answer the question. Simultaneously, we reported last podcast that a person involved in one of his ads was arrested by the FBI for child porn on his computer. Well, that story changed. Yashar Ali, Jerry Harris, the star of Netflix show Cheer, has been arrested by federal authorities and charged with production of child porn per U.S. Attorney Office of Chicago, which is a liberal attorney office. Statement from Netflix. Like everyone, we're shocked by this news. Any abuse of minors is a terrible crime. We respect the legal process. Lane Lucky, Cheer star charged Jerry Harris, the star of Netflix docuseries Cheer, was arrested today on felony charges of production of child pornography. Authorities say there are at least 10 victims. Wow. Joe Biden Instagram influencer has been arrested. Time inside the Democrat plan to win back the internet. Biden organized Instagram live sessions with influencers including Jerry Harris from Netflix Cheer. 42 days later, Jerry Harris of Netflix Cheer has been charged with child pornography. Here he is. Jerry, can you hear me? Yes, hello, Mr. Biden. How you doing, man? Mr. Biden. And he's a gay guy. He's gay. And we, we talk about it on the show, and some people get offended, but I don't give a fuck. What? The actual fuck. Why don't they get held accountable for what the gay mafia does with kids? It's not one-offs. These are not one-offs, my friends. This is what is commonly done in the gay mafia. Netflix had shows using children. Do you remember? Little chicken. The chicken. Do you remember the chicken? But they never asked those questions. On the other hand, everything is on limits, including how fast he reads. Here's another CNN bite. Joining us now, former White House Communications Director Anthony Scaramucci. 
Uh, Anthony, you are a graduate of Harvard Law School. So what happens is when you have a leader that's this malignant. Had um, Michael Cohen on yesterday. Who is his new Michael Cohen? Who do you think is the new fixer for President Trump? Uh, Attorney General Bill Barr. Anthony, I mean, he thinks that it was just what you just said, that, that he thinks that that's who's doing the fixing for President Trump now. Right. So he's in the office of the attorney general and he's supposed to be serving the American people. But he's he's doing that for the president. So, I, you know, I think Michael's 100 percent right about that. So you know, it almost begs the question, do we need a constitutional amendment to move the Justice Department over to the Supreme Court? Uh, to take it out of the hands of a malignant leader. You have this malignant leader that has an acolyte in that position that's his supplicant. And so uh, maybe we have to move it, okay, to protect the institutions of our democracy and the checks and balances of the system. So, um, Look, th- there are constitutional issues with what you're proposing, by the way, because you would have lawyers arguing in front of the Supreme Court in their own branch. Leave that aside. I get what you're saying. I just say something about the Constitution. Remember, what I'm calling for is an amendment to the Constitution. Yeah. Yeah. And there would be ways to break that out. I as just it don't know if that's going to gonna happen Court. before so, Election Day. I, 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 oh, no, of course it's not going to happen before <laughs> Election Day. But I'm, we're in overtime for a constitutional yeah. amendment, and it will be to check the malignancy of a potential future leader. Yeah. We've learned a lot from President Trump and what he's capable of. You know what's great about this, Anthony, is that I feel like I don't have to go to Harvard Law School now. Because you're just giving us sort of, you know, the the shortened cliff notes. Um, I mean, nothing is off limit with Trump. Nothing. But they ask nothing of Biden. Joni Ernst survived an abusive husband. Her Senate career may not survive an abusive president. That's an actual article. New Republic. Jennifer Rubin. Let's be honest. There's no conservative movement or party today. There's a Republican Party thoroughly infused with racism and intellectually corrupted by the right-wing nationalism. She used to be a conservative. Brian J. Kareem, now press secretary of the real Donald Trump as a law and order president. I felt compelled to ask if the law and order president, why does he keep breaking the law? Henry Rogers, Porter shouts a press secretary. She walks out of the briefing room. Kaylee, if he's not a law and order president, why does he keep breaking the law? Important to note, not a single question was asked about yesterday's historic peace deal in the White House. Wigs and twigs. How is Trump breaking the law? They weren't concerned about Pelosi breaking the law in her own state. They haven't asked how the police officers were ambushed are doing. They don't care about law and order when they defend domestic terrorists. Cam Chowda. This is a perfect example of the mentality that makes people not trust the establishment media. I mean, for Christ's sake, all over the place, an existential threat. Catholic group launches $9.7 million campaign to expose Biden and his lack of fucking Catholicism. And then you have the outright sycophancy. Never seen such media bias in my life. Firefighters might want to try a little harder to hide their mad love for Camelia Harris. Embarrassing. WAPO. Yahoo. Uh, two other sites. Camelia Harris goes viral for a shoe choice. Camille Harris may made Timberland boots cool again. People are low-key loving that Camille Harris has worn Converse. Camille Harris wears a Timberlands. Get shit done. Actual article. Amy Kramer. i never seen such media bias in my life over Timberland boots. Yahoo. Camille Harris may have made Timberland boots cool again. 
Melania Trump gets her mocked for wearing Timberland boots. Back to back, right there. Work boots and white jeans. Melania Trump's outfit still missing the mark. Y'all, USA Today. USA Today. Camelia Harris wears a Timberland, gets shit done. <laughs> you can't make this shit up. This is all for Mamie Creamer. Melania Trump gets roasted on Twitter for wearing Tim's to Puerto Rico. Refinery 29. Timberlands, Pearls combo has our vote for Camelia Harris. The media is sick. Melania Trump Puerto Rico outfit heels spark backlash. Teen Vogue. Teen Vogue. Tim's and Converse. Camelia Harris sports Timberland boots after wearing Chuck Taylors. Yeah. Why? Why why would we have any fucking intellectual honesty? Why would anyone think for just a fucking second we could have a media that isn't a fucking garbage fire? Then we have another uh, comparing to Hitler, Kurt Schilster, the Daily Beast. In a week in which revealed President Donald Trump purposely downplayed the deadly coronavirus, risking the health of every single person in America. He's taking the time to assure everyone that Kim Jong-un is fit as a fiddle, Kurt Schilster. So yesterday, Trump was supposed to be Hitler because he allegedly underestimated the virus. But today he's Hitler because he warned people not to underestimate an enemy. Look, call me cynical, but I'm beginning to doubt the media's good faith. Question, is lying reflexive with leftists? Tim X moderate Dem. Now do Democrats. Who downplayed it? Media who downplayed it? And what party stuck infected people in nursing homes? Yeah. Anybody out there? Anybody out there want to really do your job, media? I mean, it's to the point now that you just go, wow. Every two years, we're going to be inundated with stupid. Just outright stupid. Drew Holden. Proves Dem and their insanity more effective at re-electing Trump than anything the GOP could do. And this is this is excellent because it's totally true. His tweet. The man has been president for four years. He had a united Republican government for all his faults. He didn't turn into a dictator. This kind of fear-mongering bullshit from the Dems will be more effective at re-electing Trump than anything the GOP could do. Marion Williamson. This is not a joke. And it's fortunately, it's true. And they show it's some soundbite saying he's a dictator. Drew Holden again. Oh God, pray for me. We're doing a thread. There are 12 reasons. Here are 12 responses. One, power of the military to supremacist riots. Federalism aside, he's overseen the most contentious riots since the 60s, led by his political opponents, and hasn't turned into a dictator. Two, voter fraud. Not anything something within his control. Voter fraud is handled across all 50 states, and should it come to it at the Supreme Court, he has no power there. Three, he might remain in office. This is just asinine. If he lost and remained in office, he'd be escorted out. Four, outlawing speech. The press has never been more critical of a president, and as we saw during the Russian collusion hoax, in a way more baseless than Trump. And yet, reporters get free roam. Wonder why that is. Five, controlling lies as truth. Two points. Maybe Fox viewership is a critique on the mainstream media. Two, the man got impeached over a hoax. Clearly, the people with power over wielding lies as truth are, for the most part, not in his camp. 
I mean, really think about it. Six, he can do whatever he wants. No president has been held back more meaningfully from his objectives than Trump by the courts, Congress. What has he accomplished? A little byline reply to this. Uh, Two scoops of ice cream, man. Two scoops. Seven, more total control of government BS. As president, he can fire lots of people. The Dems led an impeachment in part for firing people. So clearly it isn't something to do without implication. Eight and nine, no one can criticize him without consequences. Deep breath. He was impeached. The other political party led a made-for-TV trial based on lies for a month. To say nothing of six and seven figure book deals that everyone involved got O.J. Simpson style. Ten, Masonic delusions. I tried to come up with a response. For the love of God, Dem just need to be better. Eleven, okay, I'll take it back. This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. If Trump was one iota the dictator you all pretend he is, would you would be in prison. Twelve, yeah, his fawning over dictators is dumb. But my God, if that is your case... For why a second term means we plunge into dictatorship. You need to log off the website, take a deep breath, have a stiff drink, get some fresh air, and a hobby. I will tolerate just about every bad take about Trump in both directions, but to hear the same people who gnash their teeth about our norms pretending his re-election would doom democracy is a brief too far. I don't care if you like him or not. His historic bullshit has no place in our society, and I have zero interest in listening to anyone who traffics in these conspiracies. I continue to stand in awe of the ability of Democrats to fuck up what should be the easiest election win in at least 50 years, 150 years. The life of the Democrat is conditioned on losing, and life finds its way because they've gone too far. They always go too far. You've been talking about fascism and dictators since November 2016 and you turned into fascists and dictators with your lockdowns. I mean, for fuck's sake. We just had a week of Trump withheld evidence by downplaying to keep America calm And then Nashville shows they really downplayed and ignored science and made sure it didn't go out to the public so they could keep shit locked down. That was a Democrat. He's a Republican. Somebody out there do the math. Let's get woke. Turn it up. Turn it on. All female athletes want is a fair shot at competition, at a scholarship, at a title, at victory. But what if that shot was taken away by a competitor who claims to be a girl but was born a boy? Senator Gary Peters and Joe Biden support legislation that would destroy girls' sports. They call it equality. 
Really? That's not fair. Not fair at all. Vote against Gary Peters and Joe Biden. They are too extreme for Michigan. We start with uh, the usual. That is an ad. It was a $4 million pack and Michigan attacking Joe Biden and Senator Gary Peters and their support for radical policies to destroy women's sports. And it was banned by Facebook. It was American Principle Project. And they're banning things all over the place. It's what the left does. Kristen Brennan, note the date 6 9 the day the vaunted Big Ten became the SEC. It choked. It got scared. It sold its soul to football. My USA Today to comment column, because the Big Ten came back to football, and they don't like it. You're seeing a lot of pushback over COVID because they're losing their grip on the you got to vote for home or we're all going to die. It starts with Tom Elliott. A source told me Trump could have saved 80 to 90 percent of Americans who died of COVID. Sanjay Gupta, CNN, are we surprised? And Sanjay, another big development this morning. According to the Washington Post, and now we've all seen this internal document from the United States Postal Service, back in April, the United States Postal Service had partnered with the White House Coronavirus Task Force, and their plan that they were about to implement was to send five masks via the Postal Service to every U.S. household, um, along with a note saying this is the best way to you know, stop the pandemic that we're in the middle of. And then... That didn't happen. And thank goodness for this watchdog group, American Oversight, that through a FOIA request, found thousands of these internal documents that show that that plan was scrapped. We don't know who who specifically kiboshed that plan, um, but those 650 million masks did not go out to every household. You know, a source told me last night that, uh, you know, there have been so many people who have, have known the right thing to do, have sounded the alarm on this. And going back to middle of February, uh, talking about the fact that this virus could be spread asymptomatically and that everything needed to change as a result. And that this is what my source said. Every step along the way, this this guidance that could have saved, you know, 80 to 90 percent of the people who have died could have been saved if this guidance had been abided by. Every step of the way, that guidance had been buried and then minimized, then ignored, and now ridiculed. That's what's, that's what's happening. I mean, it's not that hard. The, the guidance was not that challenging. It could have been done, but it was buried, minimized, ignored, and now ridiculed. So here we are, you know, as we go into flu season, still in that same sort of position. Everyone's counting on the vaccine. Everybody wants the home run hit. Even if we get the vaccine, it's going to take time to actually get people uh, vaccinated and, and protected. We have to do these other basic health measures for some time to come, and we're still not. If the president had done his job, had done his job from the beginning, all the people would still be alive. All the people, I'm not making this up, just look at the data. Look at the data. And as then, we're now being told, there's going to be no, I pray to God there's a, a vaccine tomorrow that could be available to everyone. First of all, once a vaccine is made available, and you know this well, once it's made available, it's going to Now, I played the second soundbite on purpose, and that is Joe Biden claims Trump is responsible for every single person who's died from COVID. The president has done his job and done his job from the beginning. All the people would still be alive. All the people. I'm not making this up. Just look at the data. Look at the data. There is no data that says that all the people 
would be a lie. But this is the Nancy Pelosi. You float it. The media helps you. And CNN, as we see by their little narrative bumper, where you heard their questions, they're Team Biden. And they float the data, the data, the data. He could have saved people. And then the candidates get a run with it. That's the game. Sorry to have have a drink. My throat is dry as shit. Um, it only plays for the left, but it plays all the time. Matt Whitlock, Democrat entire election game plan is to convince voters Trump literally caused COVID deaths. Ignore China. Ignore fucking de Blasio putting people in old folks' homes. Despite Fauci and the experts noting that the president has followed their guidance in the beginning. But this is honestly egregious. Prashid J. Jakur. Gupta should be embarrassed to say this. Let's say it this way. Germany is a success story, right? Even they had 25% the death rate we did, which is still more than what Gupta is arguing here. So what the hell policy would have saved that many? This is gaslighting. Other people got to the point. If you go back to January, what was the most effective policy? Well, China, if you believe them, was the most effective. A total travel ban from Hubei. They literally locked down 60 million, 60 million people. Gupta opposed travel bans in February. So did his network. So did the Democrats. Other success stories include South Korea, New Zealand, and Vietnam opposed stricter bans than we did. Gupta opposed it. Let's put it another way. Gupta argues that a mask order and social distancing alone would have saved 90% of the people. Okay, show me a single country on the planet that successfully did that without a travel ban. You can't. To the Biden statement, David Forrester, there better be a fact check for this tomorrow. There won't be. Paul Seabury, the real problem is they own all the fact checking, all the MSM and all the social media. So you cannot dispute this lie. We should be ashamed that we lost those battles because they just cost us the war. And that is the the, the most true statement there is. When they own every part of the narrative, how the fuck do you destroy that kind of lie? How? I mean, seriously. Folks, do you... Does anybody out there believe Trump did nothing? Everything he did... You literally fought. Then during the town hall, Joe Biden and Mr. Keener are making a point about social distancing during the CNN town hall while on stage. But when they think they're gone to commercial break, they get so close to each other that Biden is whispering in his ear. And I could play that, but I'm not going to. Social distancing is only social distancing when it doesn't apply to us. I mean, that's just the reality. When it doesn't apply to us, then it's social distance. You must social distance. We don't have to social distance. They never have. I mean, really, really, really think it out, my friends. The mother fucking king of social distancing Mr. fucking Cuomo got caught in Georgia. No mask. That's just what they are. Liars. K 
Kelly O'Donnell. Caesar Nevada Trump open air rally still to begin. State COVID restrictions limit gathering of 50, but disregarded here. Jason Rance. Does Kelly tweet about riots and BLM marches like this? No complaining about COVID here. Showing her Washington, D.C. Lafayette Park across the White House. Protesters bearing down on temporary fencing set up as a perimeter. ABC's Carl. Indoor Trump rally is like taking your family with you to Fallujah. Does anybody think they're just not doing this because they don't want him campaigning? They want Biden to campaign. Campaign as much as he can. But he has to play all the rules because they're Democrats. They're making the rules on COVID. So he doesn't have rallies. Trump does. They don't like it. They don't want Trump to win. It's so bad. Here's even a soundbite of them accosting a Trump campaign official. I want to ask you about something that you are intimately involved in, of course, Tim, which is the president's heading to Minnesota on Friday for a campaign event. And I don't know if you heard, but we just spoke to the governor there, uh, Governor Walls, and he was very clear. He said uh, he had a message for you. He said, would the president um, wear a mask? I would tell the president to wear a mask. Have your supporters wear a mask. That is the regulation in his state, of course. gathering not to exceed 250 people, masks, six feet, social distancing. Are you going to comply with those regulations? Uh, at, at every one of the president's events, we conduct a temperature check for everyone who goes in. We hand out masks, encourage people to wear them, and we have uh, hand sanitizer more than any, any group of people could ever possibly use. But I, I would point out that it's dangerous when you're picking and choosing whose First Amendment rights are protected. Governor Walls had no problem with the people protesting in the streets of Minneapolis and elsewhere in Minnesota and didn't express any concern about social distancing or masks at that time. And also, I would point out that uh, people burning down the, the, the buildings and small businesses in Minneapolis, I suspect, uh, were, were not social distancing at the time. And so if people can protest in the streets by the tens of thousands, if people can riot, mm-hmm. if people can gamble in casinos, then certainly Certainly they can gather peacefully under the First Amendment to hear from the President of the United States. And this this event coming up in Minnesota is in an airplane hangar, as I saw you mentioned. It's going to be largely outdoors, and we take great great health and safety precautions for the people who attend. But the people who attend President Trump's rallies also have First Amendment rights. So so one thing that's frustrated me about this, and I I understand the point you make about hypocrisy, and there was was plenty of it going around at the time. But, But one thing that I am not able to get my arms around is how multiple wrongs ever add up to a right. We know the science. We know that masks work. We know it, right? It isn't, so just because somebody else jumped off a bridge doesn't mean that you should too. The CDC director has been so loud and clear about this. Again, even today, here's what he said. We have clear scientific evidence. They work and they are our best defense. I might even go so far as to say that this face mask is more guaranteed to protect me against COVID than when I take a COVID vaccine. How can you hear that and not beg your supporters to wear them? Well, the president has encouraged Americans to wear masks. He's done it many times from the very White House press briefing room where you saw him speaking earlier. Uh, and uh, as well, we were talking about the vaccine. The president wants the vaccine out for the health and safety of Americans as quickly as possible. There's no question of that. I'll tell you what is reckless is when Joe Biden and Kamala Harris 
purposefully try to scare people away from taking the vaccine by casting doubt on its safety and, in fact, targeting minority communities for that misinformation, telling black people and Latinos who we know are, are at greater risk uh, through the coronavirus crisis, telling them that they should be afraid of the vaccine. They themselves never actually answering the question. Well, Joe Biden has said he trusts the vaccine, that he would take the vaccine. He said that. Joe Biden has made this into a political issue and has purposefully tried to scare people away from the vaccine. That is extremely reckless behavior to try to convince Americans that they should be suspicious of the vaccine that all of the doctors involved say has never been the subject of any political pressure. It is Joe Biden who has turned this into a political issue and is trying to frighten people away from a potentially life-saving vaccine. It's reckless and he's only doing it because he believes it helps him politically non-stop they don't want him to campaign he can't campaign it's not fair he gets to campaign he's doing rallies biden doesn't get to do rallies it's like a bunch of fucking little kids it's just a bunch of little kids it's so fucking pathetic to hear it grow the fuck up you choose to play this craziness well you get the results of the craziness and then hoover institution institution doc for contracting covid narrative contradicting covid narrative youtube censors it youtube has yanked down a video produced by stanford university hoover institute featuring public health expert dr scott atlas md because it contradicts the world health organization or local health authorities and it's basically saying the death rate isn't as bad. But you can't do that. I mean, they're so COVID crazy. Forbes, while why speaking English may spread more coronavirus than other languages. Because there's more aspiration. If anyone could find a COVID article more worthy of ridicule, I'd be surprised. Alex Brennison was speaking English may spread more coronavirus in other languages. Are you fucking shitting me? Our last COVID, here's the Lincoln Project. They're stalwarts of fucking facts and intellectual honesty. There's two kinds of vaccines that they're talking about. One is an M that, anyway, one relates to changing your cell structure and the other relates to engaging your immune system. They require different ways they can be transported. One's required to have to be transported at 70 degrees below zero. And then I see the disinfectant. It knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that by injection inside or almost a cleaning? I don't know a single person who wants to take these vaccines. Nobody. I haven't seen anybody online that says, yeah, I'm going to take that. Moving on. Cancel Netflix impact. Skyrocketing cancellations. Anything but cute. But we're still getting articles. Slate. Op-ed. Explores the creepy conservative obsession with Netflix. The toxic intersection of QAnon delusion and right-wing moral panic. Yeah, that's that's a thing. We we have not let it go. The whole world has said that's pretty fucked up. That's wrong. Shouldn't have it. Blah blah blah. But not the left. 
they're still down with it. They love this kind of crap because, hey, they're surrogates. They fuck little kids. Well, at least do child porn. That seems to be a thing on the left. Daily Wire article that I can't get to open, so let's, let me, I, I hate this new, whatever the new fucking browser is for fucking Windows. Yeah, don't like it. Don't like it at all. Alright, I had to pause literally because it just wouldn't open. Uh, Daily Wire, nine other times Netflix offended viewers with its content. Number one, Suicide Contagion, 13 Reason Why. They didn't take that shit down. They still have warnings on it, but they had to edit the scene because it was proven kids were killing themselves because they were motivated by the damn movie. Sex, junk, and butt stuff. Bill Nye show scoffs at heterosexual monogamy while pushing gender fluidity. And we covered that on the show. Three, misgendering is traumatic. Reboot of the Babysitter Club debuts transgender nine-year-old. Four, first kid I, kid I met that's a top. RuPaul and the chicken, you remember? Five, Netflix Canada encouraged young people to get sex ed from American Pie. Six, story of inclusion and accepted G-rated Nickelodeon cartoon reboot featured Trans Toad. We covered it. Seven, baby killing makes me horny. Cartoon sings about abortion and mocks pro-life. I hate these people. Eight, this should not be anyone's idea of entertainment. Movie about sex trafficking triggers abuse victims. And nine, sweet Jesus inside me. Jesus Christ mocks and sexualized an American Jesus. My wife, who's a just a horror fanatic... As anybody who follows the show knows, because I have to trudge through all these horror movies all the time. Well, she wanted to watch Nurse Ratchet. So we started watching Nurse Ratchet. And Nurse Ratchet is a Ryan Reynolds. Is that his name? Make sure I, I actually have that right. No, it was Ryan Murphy. That's what I meant to say. Ryan Murphy, and of course, he's the gay guy. He gave you the two guys humping inside of a motherfucking uh, 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 ambulance in freaking Grey's Anatomy. First couple episodes are pretty good. You're not too offended. It's okay. And then, boom! They drop the fucking hammer. Gay stuff. Everybody's gay. And just stop watching. Do some crazy stuff, because this is woke. How Beethoven's Fifth Symphony Symphony put the classism in classic music. Beethoven's most famous work changed the way we listen and how we're supposed to listen. And it's a whole class system. It's bad. Hmm. Then a positive. Rare for woke. Mandalorian star mocks trans activism online with fake pronouns beep, bop, boop. She wrote, uh, sorry, get it up. but this time the actors played a rebel shock trooper turned mercenary on the Disney Star Wars series as some choice words for trans activists 
who bullied her for mocking people who put the pronouns in their Twitter bio. Music and pop culture outlet NME reported that Carano had been asked by several Twitter users whether she would add her pronoun to her Twitter profile. One user pointed to Carano's Mandalorian co-star Pedro Pascal putting his pronoun he, him in his bio. For reference, lefties often put the pronouns in their social media bios so other users could know whether they identify themselves as a fruit bat or not. Some people even go to they, them. Putting pronouns in one bio is also seen as a show of solidarity. Carano tweeted that she hadn't understood the meaning behind the pronouns included in Woke People's account until Pascal explained. She wrote, yes, Pedro and I spoke, and he helped me understand why people were putting them in their bios. I didn't know before, but I do now. But to the chagrin of her activists, she explained that she wouldn't include her pronouns in her bio, hence the subsequent transphobe condemnation. I won't be putting them in my bio, but good for all of you who choose to. I stand against bullying, especially the most vulnerable and freedom to choose, she added. And of course, the zealot Twitter warriors, that means she hates trans folks. Carano took it a step further, however, by putting the words beep, bop, boop in her bio, a sarcastic play on the he, him, his, and they, theirs. That really set off the fucking gay mafia, accused her of being transphobic. Concerned fan reached out to Carano, asking why she was being dragged into headlines on social media. The actress responded, they're mad because I won't put pronouns in my bio to show my support for trans lives. She also clarified that she supported transparent people. Here's her little tweet. They're mad because I won't put pronouns in my bio to show my support for trans lives. After months harassing me in every way, I decided to put three very controversial words in my bio. Beep, bop, boop. Not against trans lives at all. The need to find less abusive representations. Good for her! Oh my god. Um, one user asked whether Carano's fake pronouns could be considered mocking, to which she replied, I don't think trans people would like all of you trying to force a woman to put something in her bio through harassment and name-calling every day for months. She also listed the names she's been called to bolster the point that the woke community is full of bullies, including racist, transphobe, bitch, weirdo. She added they also told her horrible things like, I hope you die. I hope you lose your career. You're fat. You're ugly. Carano has since deleted her pronouns, but her point that trans activism is full of bullies still stands. Because they are. The gay mafia is worse than the BLM mafia. And they're extra pissed off because the spotlight's not on them. Then you got ratio queen Sarah Rio. White people need to stop writing black and brown characters. That's it. That's the tweet. Black people. This has got to be beyond parody. Man, bear, pig. Big black dude. People need to stop telling other people how to live their lives. During the deathless. Should white people no longer have any contact in any way with anyone who isn't white? Dr. Karen Baker Tompkins. Men should not be writing women. Tall people should not be writing about short people. Are you a Spider-Man? Don't write about (laughs) Spider-Man. Yeah. But that's what they do. The Hill. Pregnant black Pacific Islander women in San Francisco to receive... 1,000 monthly supplement. Okay, so why would only black and Pacific Islander women? Martina Pathosky writes, 
The Abundant Birth Project is rooted in racial justice and recognizes that black and Pacific Islander mothers suffer disparate health impacts, in part because of the persistent wealth and income gap. Thanks to the work of many partners involved, we are taking real action to end these disparities and are empowering mothers with the resources they need to have healthy pregnancy and birth. Because they can't go to Planned Parenthood, which should be what they'd be saying right now, right? And Planned Parenthood was for women and for women's health, you wouldn't need to give them a stipend. They could go get reduced supplies, but remember, they don't do prenatal, they do endnatal. And they prey on black women. They continue. Um, Structural racism, which has left black and Pacific Islander communities particularly exposed to COVID, also threatened the lives of black and PI mothers and babies. See, Walla Walla, that's her name, Walla Walla, a San Francisco Department of Public Health said in Monday's statement the project is drawing its funding from a number of sources, including Twitter. People's reply. This type of institutional racism is okay, though. <laughs> so good. This should be publicized nationwide so all pregnant black Pacific Islander women know there's money being paid if they move to San Francisco. Willie Stokes. Here's actual racism. Roger Water is fed up. These are all their handles. What about one-eyed Lithuanian American dwarfs? That's a group that's been ignored. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Here's our sound bite of the day, and then we'll go into This is America. This came from James Wood. His tweet was, this is pretty damning. You better watch it before... Twitter takes it down. So I grabbed it, and it sounds like this. Well, my gosh. What can I say except, Debbie, you're going to Paris, and this is the final answer heard all around the world. He's won a million dollars. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. It has refinements. Technological advances and a more sophisticated approach to the destruction of human freedom. But like every one of the super states that preceded it, it has one iron rule. Logic is an enemy and truth is a menace. This is an area that we call the Democrat Zone. Raise your hand if if your government plan would provide coverage for undocumented immigrants. CARE was founded after 9-11 because they recognized that some people did something. I believe that I am going, I, if I were the, rule, uh, the benevolent dictator of the world, I would legalize bestiality.
for the really got to eat the I think most people think of rape as being sexy. Mm. Let's take a short break. Think of the fantasies. Mm. We're going to take a quick break. If you can stick around, we'll talk more on the other side. You're fascinating to talk to. <laughs> you got to tell them, silent breed is people! That is some good shit right there. That's fucking some good shit. I'm keeping that one. And then our This Is America, CNN, Trump a killer, Biden a hero, CBS, explaining Biden's evolution on fucking everything, and a POC con goes on The View. They attack her, but she attacks back. This is America. Don't get you slipping now. Catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. I got the strap. Hey. message that's been part of his. Uh, sort of political DNA over the years, which is to say, you know, I grew up uh, with a working class, uh, middle class family. I want to create the American dream for everyone. And I think that's where that's where you see a lot of Democrats saying that's Biden's sweet spot. They want him to be there a lot more often, especially as we head into November. Um, It's just so interesting, Abby. I mean, Biden owns that identity. This isn't an adopted identity that he's having to put on. He is from Scranton with blue collar roots. And to to Donald Trump's credit, he has convinced voters that he speaks their language. I mean, that he speaks that demographic um, of voters, that he speaks those populist blue collar language. But I thought it was interesting that Joe Biden pointed out he's not self-made. You know, Donald Trump, he's saying is not self-made. He was given a million dollars from his dad. He was raised wealthy. Do you think that there's time to kind of reprogram people's thinking since Donald Trump for four years has so effectively held on to that mantle. The president held a rally in Wisconsin while Joe Biden appeared at a Pennsylvania town hall. Philly girl. I married a Philly girl. Ooh, Philly girls are the best. I look up to you. Do you have any plans to stand up for us healthcare workers? How will you handle Russia's involvement with Trump? They don't ask me questions like that. You mentioned just a minute ago that uh, where did the money go? My understanding is that the Democrats passed a second stimulus bill, but Republicans blocked it. How do you answer that? Did they block it or did they want a certain amount of money and and things going towards, uh, you know, basically the people in America? You know, there was a lot of other issues written in the stimulus bill. and, And really, the stimulus bill should be those that were affected by the coronavirus pandemic. No. Well, Yes, but they blocked yeah. the bill. Be, well, we Maybe wanted they to make should sure- get with the program and realize in your party that people are needing the money right now and get off their high horse. I Just think so. So here's my question. Is there anything that you take issue with or that you find racist in what Trump has done in his life um, before or after the presidency? 
Uh, no, I don't. I, I find yeah. that President Trump has shown nothing but, you know, the, the opposite of racism. You know, each year, HBCUs had to go to Congress to ask for money. You know who made that permanent so they don't have to ask each year? That would be President Trump. You know who tackled prison, prison reform and criminal justice? The first step back, that would be President Trump. You know who's investing $75 billion into opportunity zones in cities that were neglected by Democrats? That would be President Trump. So I would say, and I know Sonny has said this before when Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was on the show, you know, let's look at policy over personality. Um, and, and from what I could tell, the president's been doing a great job, especially for the black community. Come on, Kim. Excuse me, I have to say something to you. He told Bob Woodward that it was a very serious issue and it's airborne and that it was terrible. And then he went out and told the American people, don't wear masks, it's all going to go away. You have to put some blame on your president. I'm sorry. You're putting it on something extraneous here. Talk to the point, please. Is this, is this Joy speaking? The, the same Joy? The same yes. Joy that yes. paraded around in blackface not too long ago? Come on, Joy. I don't think you should be That's asking not these true. questions. I am Excuse me. Excuse me. The black community had my back. They know that the that was not blackface. That was an homage. Oh, please. The black just community has the my back The black community well. has your back? The black yes. community has yes, your back. They do. Sonny, the yes. black community well, did Sonny not vote them. for you. Well, the black you community know did not vote for you. What it planet are you living election. on? It was during a special election. Sonny, can I speak? What planet during, are you living on? It was during a special wow. election while we were still under lockdown and wow. I could not wow. talk to people. Can I speak or are you just going to speak over me? This becomes a big... Listen, Kim, good luck to you. Thanks to Kim Clausen. That was very immature, but thank you for having me. You're fucking slime balls. But not as slimeball as Katie Tour, who let fucking Keith Overman fuck her and then turn into a nut job. I spoke to roughly 20 Trump voters in Staten Island today, and almost all of them told me Biden was a puppet of either Harris, AOC, Pelosi, or George Soros. The Trump Fox News echo chamber is effective. B.T. I don't know where they got a crazy idea like that. CNN. Joe Biden made the pick that maximizes chances of continuing to make the race a straight referendum on Trump while also selecting someone whose resume suggests being ready to step in if and when Biden decides to step aside. I didn't play it because it's just low-hanging fruit, but this week there was numerous times that both him and her said the Harris-Biden administration Drew Holden, I recognize I'm biased here, but I think this has a lot to do with the Trump Fox News echo chamber than a lot. I'm sorry, let me say that right. Drew Holden, I recognize I'm biased here, but I think this has a lot less to do with Trump Fox echo chamber than it does with Biden barely being on the campaign trail and the reality that many of his boosters, including the VP, are far, far liberals. She also didn't hear this soundbite of Newt Gingrich rightly saying Soros bought a bunch of judges to liberalize our court, that's a true statement, and being shut down on Fox for saying that name. Destroyed by this violence. Yeah, it's so true. They represent everybody, right? Speaker Gingrich, I know you have a final thought for us. Yeah, look. The number one problem in almost all these cities is George Soros elected left-wing 
anti-police, pro-criminal district attorneys who refuse to pe- keep people locked up. Uh, just yesterday, they put somebody back on the street who's wanted for two different murders in New York City. Uh, you cannot solve this problem, and both Harris and Biden have talked very proudly about what they call progressive de- district attorneys. Progressive district attorneys are anti-police, pro-criminal, and overwhelmingly elected with George Soros' money, and they're a major cause of the violence we're seeing because they keep putting the violent criminals back on the street. I'm not sure we need to bring George Soros into this. (laughs) I was going to say you get the last word, Speaker. (laughs) He he paid for it. I mean, why can't we discuss the fact that millions of dollars... I I agree with Melissa. George Soros doesn't need to be a part of this conversation. Okay. So it's verboten. All right. We're going to... Okay, we're going to move on. Uh, historic day at the White House. We covered it from stem to stem, stem to stern. For major change. In- we ran a whole election on the Koch brothers. Americans knew who the Koch brothers were. But you can't say George Soros, even though he puts more money into play than any other contributor ever. And he's the financer for most violent causes we have in America. But yeah, it's the Fox News echo chamber, which is totally different than the CNN, MSNBC, ABC, NBC, CBS, and PBS Democrat echo chamber, which loses to the Fox echo chamber because people are sick of your liberal bullshit. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. Send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOPpodcast gmail.com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Podcast Attic, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Down, and PocketCast. Remember to check out the Twitter account at FopTonyReed. Our next show will be Wednesday, 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 23 September, Year of Our Lord 2020. Until then, disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yeahs. Turn off the fucking news channels. It hurts you. And tune back in Wednesday to this channel for another exciting episode. To all the people in Pensacola, prayers are with you. All the people still in Oregon getting over the fires, prayers are with you. And with this country, which seems to be pretty fucked up right now, prayers are with you. We end as we're going to until the election with the hateful left and also with my thanks for listening to my show. I I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country. Maybe there will be. People need to start taking to the streets. This is a dictator. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there's unrest in our lives. Enemies of the state. Show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless. When they go low, be kicked. How do you resist the temptation to run up and wring her neck? Biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. I thought he should have punched him in the face. So even if you lost, he insulted your wife. Yes. He came down the escalator and called Mexicans rapists and murders. He said, well, what do you think I should have done? I said, I think you should have punched him in the face and then gotten out of the race. Mm-hmm. You would have been a hero. I'd like to punch him in the face. I said if we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him.
punch some people in the face. When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? They're still going to have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump, and that's a fact. Look as his character is stabbed to death. Where is John Wilkes Booth when you need him? I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. A Missouri state senator is under investigation by the Secret Service after saying she hopes President Trump is assassinated. I will go and take Trump out tonight. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. And sadly, the domestic enemies to our voting system and wow. our honoring our Constitution are, are right at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. They're not going to stop before Election Day in November, and they're not going to stop after Election Day. And that should be, everyone should take note of that on both levels, that this isn't, they're not going to let up, and they should not. If you think we're rallying now, you ain't seen nothing yet. And part of the challenge we have as a nation is that a significant swath of Americans still support Donald Trump. They support his vision of America, and that is rooted in racism. It is rooted in a desire for power at the expense of everyone who is black and brown. And so what we have in this problem is a, is a, is a spiritual kind of tyranny of the worst impulses, uh, you know, as uh, Dr. Meacham said, um, you, know, you know, sort of weaponizing narcissism. That will send a shockwave through this country and Donald Trump may not accept the results, but who gives a shit? because the rest of the country will be forced to. I'm at the point where I'm ready to put these police in the fucking grave. I'm at the point where I want to burn the fucking White House down. I want to take it to the senators. I want to take it to the Congress. I want to take the fight to them. And at the end of the day, if they ain't going to hear us, we burn them the fuck down. What the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count. Thank you.